season bottle do you like it in this city i've been watching all these games and well this team's not looking pretty from my view the spotlight shining bright on you to make a move Jason Bottrell, I'm sure things are not that easy, but your answer to our scoring woes was Johansson and VC. Well, it's true. Without Jack Eichel, we'd be screwed. What would we do? Oh, you gotta do something. Oh, you gotta do something. Oh, you gotta do something Oh, you gotta do something Gotta do something Hey, Jason Bottrell, that O'Reilly trade was rough How could you think that Patrick Berglund and Saboka were enough? It sounds insane But I hear O'Reilly's doing great So they say Jason Bottrell, I just hope you have the answers Cause our ring's starting to look and feel Just like the Florida Panthers And it's tough It's a situation where this sucks Enough's enough Oh, you gotta do something Oh, you gotta do something Oh, you gotta do something to do something 3,000 days seems pretty long the team we had was one so strong I think about 2006 each day the whole league just makes fun of us and we just laugh along because it's a way to deal with all the pain Bottrell I'll just say to you I really hope you get us through we have all these defensemen that don't play Make a trade Hey Jason Bottrell, I don't have much left to say Because like Risto and Ryan, I've lost my love of this game And it's a shame At least we have the Bills to play postseason games Oh, you gotta do something gotta do something oh you gotta do something oh you gotta do something gotta do something you know the difference between hockey and those other sports you gotta be tough to be a hockey player. I idolized Dominic Kashuk I played goalie because of Dominic Kashuk my life in hockey has been started because of Sabres hockey. I didn't need playoffs this year. I wanted it, but I didn't need it. But when you screw up for the fans as much as this team has over the last, like, five years and just don't hold yourself accountable, I'm sorry. I'll hang up and listen. I'm sorry. Welcome to Two Goalies, One Mike, an in-depth look and behind-the-mask conversation about the greatest game on earth where everything goes and nothing's off limits. Now I'll tell you something about this guy. This is only three minutes, eh? Whammo! 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 27 of Two Goalies, One Mike. We are in the middle of playoff hockey, the best time of year. And me and Dwayne are joined today by, you know, an exciting guest for us, a former member of the Buffalo Sabres and current TV analyst for the Columbus Blue Jackets, who are my adopted team right now on the playoff side, having a lot of fun watching their game. But without further ado, Jean-Luc Rampierre. Jean-Luc, thanks again for being here, man. We really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I'm looking forward to this. should be fun. And uh, I, again, I appreciate you, obviously, with uh, how quickly you responded when I first reached out to you. Um, that, this is awesome, man. Thank you. Like I said, I, I, as I mentioned before the show, I had you said Meyer play both with, uh, obviously, with Rochester, Buffalo, and Columbus. Um, sad to see you go when you went over to Columbus, but it's uh, good to see that you're still involved with hockey and, you know, following the game and with the TV. Uh, is, is it with Fox? Uh, yes, Fox Sports. Uh, so it's Fox Sports, uh, yes, local regional. Yeah, yep. Correct. So uh, real excited that you, uh, you know, that you're uh, working with them and that we get to see more of you now on TV. Yeah, it's been fun. Uh, I was. Uh, it's never something I saw myself doing in the future, but actually, uh, your guy Marty Biron is uh, somebody that I stayed in touch with over the years, and when this <laughs> came about. And uh, I reached out to the Blue Jackets, and I definitely talked to Marty a few times to know, uh, you know, how enjoyable is it really? And uh, I guess he was right. It's a lot of fun. Well, we, uh, we, had, we had Marty on the show uh, about, was about a month or two ago, Johnny. Yep. Yeah, and uh, let me tell you, man, if you want to you you, you meet a guy who can talk your ear off, that is a guy who can talk your ear off. He, you just give him a microphone, and he, you let him just take over. He'll hijack your show. Uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Marty, we used to say he's like never. His mouth was like a Seven Eleven, always open. It was unbelievable. <laughs> I, uh, I was actually, I was just talking about Marty the other day. We're talking about goaltenders and uh, you know their you know unique characters. And I said, uh, I remember Dominic Hashek was like a typical goalie in his own bubble, and then Marty was the opposite. As like even I, that was pretty loose. Sometime we'd have to turn around and tell Marty, all right, man, shut up. Like, enough. <laughs> you have a, you have, we have a game to play. You're playing, and you, you just won't stop talking. He's funny, though. Love that guy. Marty is great. Um, and, hey, I wanted to make a note. You know, we – Jean-Luc, we are a goalie podcast. I'd say 95% of our guests are goalies, but we always make an exception, um, you know, for for Sabres greats. And, and, and you, with your history of – um, you know, the Rochester Americans, the Buffalo Sabres, and now being involved, like Dwayne said, I think this is going to make for a great show. Um, I have a ton of uh, stuff to ask you about what's going on. I'd love to get your take about Columbus, and, and I'm sure you have, a, a, you know, some great insider, uh, you know, some takes on, on what's going on and being closer than most. But before we do that, um, I like to start every show off, uh, you know, kind of getting into how you, you know, how you got into hockey. I was reading a little bit about uh, how your your parents are both of, of Haitian descent, right? So. Um, you were born in Montreal, correct? Correct. But, hey, before you get going with this, I got to mention something. I am a converted goalie. Over the last three years, I've been a men's no league way. goalie. Cause grow, growing up, I've always wanted to be a goalie. My dad wouldn't let me. I always played goalie street hockey. So now I got all the gear, and that's literally all I do is play goalie. So I am part of the 95%. Thank you. 
Are there any pictures online of you, like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, of you and Nick? Because I got to see this. I'll send. I'll send you some. I got shit. Oh, please do. Form. I'm not gonna lie. So yeah, I'll send it. I'll send it to you. Yeah, All right. Sure. I love it. I love it. What's your setup like? Uh, so right now I'm rocking the Bobrovsky CCM pads, the Bobrovsky gloves. Uh, I am switching right now to the Corpus Solo, so I'm going to go from CCM to Vaughn. And then uh, the gloves, I think I'm going to stick with the CCMs for now. Uh, I'm not sure if I can adjust to the angle of the Corpus Solo gloves, but that's my setup. Love, love it. He's, he's getting hand-me-downs from guys like Corp, Corpus Solo and uh, Bobrovsky. you got to love it. Yeah, I can't can't beat that, right? Free equipment. No, you can't. You can't. <laughs> now, Jean-Luc, did you win a championship here as a goalie in the past couple of years? Did I read that correctly in your league that you were playing in? Yeah, I did. Actually, oh, you know, I forgot. One of the guys on the team went into my Wikipedia and put that in. I don't know how you edit that stuff in, but yes, it is. It is true. I, I did win a championship. I'm actually surprisingly good, and I'm not just bragging here, but I think me really looking at the goaltenders I played with and, like, always want to play with their equipment has always been something, like, a real passion of mine. So uh, early on when uh, I figure out I'd get some equipment, I start watching Bobrovsky and Ness. And I'd, I'd watch the game and literally just have an isolated camera just looking at his movement, and i just try to replicate all that stuff, and it works. <laughs> That's a, hey, you got, you got some good guys to watch there. And um, I, I think that's awesome. And not, not many people are able to transition positions that late in their, their career or life. But I'm, I mean, I imagine that, you know, being a utility player such as yourself, where I know you spend most of your time as a defenseman, but you did bounce around and play forward, right? Correct. Correct. But I'm sure your time as a defenseman that gave you a good background on, um, you know, not only just the angles, but uh, you know, blocking shots in general, right? Yeah, it did, and uh, I think uh, if you look at the way the league is today, uh, you know, for me, anyway, in my role, being a defensive defenseman, I, I was blessed with great speed, and I think some of the coaches took it uh, and said, hey, why don't we move that speed up front here and there? I remember I spent a half season under Dave King uh, playing forward, and it was really interesting. I was playing right wing, and I've never played so much in my life because our sole job was to uh, we're checking uh, checking line. It was me, Serge Aubin, and I want to say it was Blake Sloan at the time. And we played against the number one line of every team, every game. So I got a lot of ice time playing forward. But I think, uh, again, being a, not a utility player, but being able to be flexible with your position is definitely a big uh, asset for players. For sure, for sure. Now, I wanted to – now that we got the, the goalie stuff out of the way, and I'd love to revisit that as we get going, <laughs> that's really cool to have. Uh, but, you know, growing up in, in Montreal, I, you know, I, what made you choose hockey and, and how did you really get started? Um, obviously, you know, it's a hockey crazy city. I, I've, I've been fortunate enough to have some friends from Montreal and, and the minor hockey scene there is, you know, huge. So can you kind of just fill us in about, you know, how you, how you got into the game and what those first few years of minor hockey were like? Well, it started really with uh, my – so my parents uh, immigrated from uh, Haiti, and then they met in Montreal, was born. Uh, so, you know, they knew nothing about hockey. But uh, my parents were big into soccer, both of them. So I grew up playing soccer a lot in the summer. And then uh, I think when I was about seven years old, my dad uh, put me 
in uh, well, my mom put me in skating lesson, which happened to be figure skating, not uh, hockey. And then I was like, hey, I want to try this hockey thing because that's all my friends did is play hockey all the time. So that's really when I started when I was maybe eight years old is when I first put hockey equipment on and played on a team. Uh, and, you know, I loved it moving forward. It was really something that, uh, again, I watched the Montreal Canadian play. Uh, I, wa- I grew up watching the Quebec Nordique play a lot. So I watch every other game uh, and just love the game uh, in general. So that's basically how I got into sport. Now, now uh, with you, obviously, you're kind of like almost had no choice to love hockey. You grew up in one of the hockey hotbeds of North America. Now, when we had Marty on, he said his guy was uh, was Stasky, uh, you know, growing up. That was his that was his guy. Who was your guy, with your, whether with Quebec or uh, say Montreal? Who was your guy growing up? So, so my guy was actually, uh, I still remember all the goalies. Patrick Raw, Steve Penny, like all these guys, I remember them because I love watching these guys play. Uh, Grant Fjord was a big influence of mine. But as far as, uh, you know, players that played my position, uh, Chris Chelios was definitely my number one guy. Uh, when he was with Montreal, Shelley. he had that edge to him. Uh, he was nasty. You uh, could do a little bit of everything. So, yeah, Chris Chelios was definitely my guy. And that Play was, forever. Yeah, and well, especially in his time in Montreal, I, I recently – just recently got to watch uh, some of the throwback games. I call them throwback. Now it feels like uh, a long time ago, but you know, when he was a younger defenseman, man, he could really move. His gaps were incredible. And he, like you said, he had that edge where, you know, below the goal lines, he was very tough uh, to play against and, and, and really came up with the puck a ton. So, I mean, he, he was a guy that like Dane said, his longevity is incredible, but when he was younger, I think it gets lost in, uh, sometimes with my generation is just how tough of, uh, of a competitor he was. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, to play as long as he did is uh, a great compliment to him and his character. Cause yeah, the Chris Chelios I grew up watching and the Chris Chelios that I got a chance to play against when he was in Chicago and Detroit, uh, were definitely two different defensemen. Cause I think he tamed, you know, off his character a little bit over the years, but I'll tell you, the, the Chris Chelios from the Montreal days was definitely uh, one of my favorite players I've watched. That's awesome. And with the, Go ahead, Dwayne. Uh, and, w- and, w- and with the age, obviously, you know, for how long he played, when he got to those years, especially with Detroit, he did, he did very well with uh, being able to adapt to the, to, to, to the game itself from where he was when he was in Montreal and even Chicago to a Detroit. Because I followed the, the, a couple of those Detroit teams because obviously my guy, here in the background, Dom won his first cup there in Detroit. Um, so I got a lot. I mean, I I, I follow I followed Chris Chelios, but I I got to know about the player he was a lot more uh, in those like three years, three or four years uh, full times. Dom played with uh, Detroit, um, and I, I'll tell you, just like you know, piggybacking off what Kelly said, you, you weren't going to find much of a uh, much smarter defenseman out there than Chris Chelios. Just the way he played the game and just knew how to control his gaps. Uh, just pretty much everything about the position. The, the guy was a war a, a, a horse. Yeah, for sure. He, he was. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's every 10 years or so, the league changes one way or another. And, you know, you look at the game today compared to, you know, like 10 years ago, it's a completely different game again. And for guys to be able to play through different eras of the game, they have to adjust. And Shelly did a great job at it. Now, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, your time in, in the Quebec Major Junior League. Um, 
I was looking through, and uh, you got to play with a few uh, players of note. But before I get to there, your first year um, in – am I saying it right, Beauport? Yeah, Beauport, yeah. The Harfangs, that's one of my favorite names. I played for the Kingston Frontenacs. Never really knew what a Frontenac was. Um, but with your time in Beauport in the Harfangs, what was that like? And how did you, uh, you know, how did you acclimate to the, to the queue as a, as a 16-year-old? Uh, that was a shock, to be honest with you, because, uh, well, first of all, before I got drafted in the queue, I've never seen a Quebec major junior game in my life. Uh, I was, you know, just a regular kid playing Bantam hockey. Uh, you know, I wasn't playing triple A or anything like that. So it's not like I was, you know, we all dream about making it to the next level, but I've never even thought about it. Uh, and, uh, and then when I got drafted underage that year, it was, it came as a surprise, uh, to me when I got that phone call, uh, it was like, who is this? I, I did, you know, I didn't go to a draft to be honest with you. So it was kind of weird, but, uh, getting drafted and then I was going to go to that first camp and I was 16 years old and I thought I was just going to go to camp and go back home and play, you know, Mitchell triple A or whatever. And then I ended up making the team. So it was a big adjustment. Moving away from home at 16, uh, you know, I was going to the Catholic uh, private school in Montreal, and that was going to be my senior year that year. And, uh, you know, my parents are like, well, now you got to go to a different school. So it was my first year going to a new school, living with a different family. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a shock. Uh, the adjustment on the ice was also different because I was probably 155, 160 pounds at the time and uh yeah the guys are much bigger in junior than playing in bantam in your uh local league so the first year was a big adjustment but uh, i had a blast so you go from there to valdor and uh, i thought it was interesting so in valdor um you played for three years you obviously start to come into your own as, as you know, like you talk about going in as a young a young guy it's tough but you get to that 17 18 year old years um and and you start to find some success and, and find your game um, but you got to play with uh, a Sabres great and J.P. Dumont, uh, who, you know, really took took that league by storm. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, what it was like with playing with J.P. and, and more, more so that your time in Valdor, what was that like? Well, J.P. was uh, – it was funny because J.P. Uh, was in the same situation. Him and I played in the same league. He was a year younger than I, so he came in a year after. So it was my 17-year-old, and he came in as a 16-year-old. And, uh, I mean, he went from average to greatness, you know, from 16 to 17. I think he went from scoring four goals as 16-year-old to 48 his very next season. It just shows you how much growth there is between your underage year and your, you know, 17-year-old uh, season. JP was a blast. Uh, I still talk to him here and there. I actually ran into him here in Columbus uh, Last season, he was uh, coaching the uh, AAA, I think it's the Nashville Predator AAA team, and I literally just ran into him before uh, going to cover the game for the Blue Jackets on my side. Uh, he was probably one of the best snipers I've met and I've played with, but all that without having a strong shot. I mean, if you really look at his shot, it was not a hard shot, but he knew how to pick a corner and he knew how to escape trouble so well. And uh, in junior, he definitely dominated. And uh, I was not surprised when the Islanders drafted him early. So, another, when, uh, sorry, Dwayne, one last question about Valdor. 
Um, with, with, you also had Roberto Luongo. Um, and there's a guy that me and Dwayne have talked about quite a bit and went on to obviously have a lot of success. Um, you know, was did you know back then how, how good he was going to be? And you talk about your passion for, you know, maybe, you know, the position of goaltending. Is he somebody that you were close with? Lou was definitely uh, somebody. And again, I'll, I'll just tell you a quick story about Lou. <laughs> 16-year-old, people don't realize that uh, it's not – you're just not mentally there. I remember my f- Lou's first game, we were on the road, and we were we were up 2-1 to one on the road, and uh, Roberto Luongo was in that. We're in the third period, and uh, the other team gets a power play. And our coach is at his old building, uh, the team he used to coach, again, uh, coach for, and he really wants to win this game and losing that. I'm on the ice. And I look at Lou and he's literally crying. I'm like, Lou, you good? And he's like, he's kind of like, I'm all right. I'm like, he's crying. So Russ about to drop the puck and I call a timeout. And our coach loses his mind because he's like, dude, why would you call a timeout? They're going to have time to set up a play. And I was like, well, Lou's crying. And he's like, what do you mean he's crying? He's actually crying. And Lou was so nervous because he wanted to get that first win so bad that he was actually crying. And it just shows you how competitive, but how mentally strong you have to be as an underage, especially back then, to be playing in the league against 20-year-olds. So, but man, you know, I, I had the pleasure to play in front of him for three years or two years and uh, probably one of the most competitive goaltenders I've ever seen, you know, uh, aside from Dominic Hasek, and probably one of the nicest guy you'll ever meet. He's very soft-spoken, has a big heart, and this is a guy that, you know, uh, he would give his shirt off his back to help you out no matter what happens, and, uh, you know, I, I was really, really happy that he had a long career to get his number retired in Florida because he deserved all the best, that's for sure. But what a goal he was. Yeah. Um... Uh, do you still keep in contact with Lou? Uh, I do not on the not on the uh, consistent basis. If I run into him, obviously we talk, but he's not one of the guys that I you know. As you turn pro and you go your separate ways, there's certain guys you stay in contact with. For me, the guys that really stuck, uh, you know, in my mind are the, the guys that uh, French Canadian guys mostly <clears throat> that I played in the Quebec league against or with, and then that I play with at the pro level. So like Marty, uh, I played with obviously in Rochester, uh, JP, I played with in Rochester and Buffalo as well. So all these guys still in touch, but beside that, Hey, the junior days, we didn't have cell phones. So it's hard to get their contact <laughs> info. I know. <laughs> yeah. The reason, the, the reason I asked is because hearing that story about the you know, old strong bone that is known on Twitter, um, we, we, we've been trying to get him to come on the show for a while now. He, uh, he's not the most active guy on social media, but we would love to get him on the show to back up that story he just told. Cause that would be a, that would be a, that would be a doozy. Um, yeah, it would be a fun one. <laughs> it would be a fun one. Um, especially, I loved watching him when he was in Florida too, because a lot of those teams he, he backs off in Florida. You know, they weren't the best offensively, so he, you know, they, a lot of the play would always be tipped in his end. And you were, you could really just watch, you know, how good he was. I, I thought probably, I would you agree, Cully, especially his first stint with with uh, Florida, that was him at his best. 
Yes, and I would hundred percent. I would pick. Yeah, hundred percent. I think he he definitely won a Vesna there with them. He might have been either nominated or even won a heart. I I, I don't know for sure. Uh, William Jennings. He won the William Jennings. William Jennings. Yeah, yeah. Um, he definitely he didn't win a Vesna. I don't think so, man. I I I, I really? was just as shocked as you were. Uh, I could be wrong, but uh, it didn't pop up when I was looking at it, and I was surprised. But, you know, he had those years, Dwayne, where I think parentally for that 10-year stretch, he was in the top five in the league, right? And um, yep. he had that, you know, I, I think that what hurts the most for him is has got to be not getting that cup, and it's not on him at all. Um, but, you know, I think that's what people remember him by more so like that him in Vancouver, right? When, and like you said, forgetting all those unbelievable years he had in Florida. I remember when he burst onto the scene, just how dominant he was. Right. And he had an mm-hmm. awesome gear set up those old um, Florida co-hosts he had. I don't know if you guys remember uh, that up. It was like the blue, it was the five eighties, but it had some of the five ninety graphics, but it was like the blue, um, yellow, red, Oh, beautiful setup. I remember it. For sure. Yeah. So, uh, Dwayne, I got oh, one God. real quick. Uh, if So, John Luke, you go from there, um, and then you get drafted. You know, you mentioned that you really didn't follow the uh, – what's it called? The, uh, the Q draft. But, um, you know, coming up into your NHL draft year, is that something that you were more closely following? And was it your first draft year in 95 that you, you went? Yes. Yes, uh, that I definitely followed that a little more because by that time I had an agent, and obviously you're a little more in the loop about what's uh, what's happening, and then you see the rankings, and then you go to the uh, oh my gosh, what do they call it? It's not the pro day; they call it the combine, combine. Yeah, the NHL combine. So it was a little different there. Uh, so, yeah, I did go to the draft in 95. I think it was in Edmonton at the time. So I was there and uh, was expecting it. But, again, it's something that you – it's really easy to get caught up in. And, uh, you know, for me, I may have got caught up in it a little too much because my draft year had, uh, you know, quite a bit of injuries. So I slipped down in the draft and all the way to the seventh round. And, you know, at one time I was ranked as high as like uh, early third rounder, and then to go in the seventh round, it was pretty disappointing. So it's almost better my junior situation, not expecting anything and having the surprise, than setting the expectation so high and going out so late. So, but yeah, I was definitely there for the draft. Now, did you know that St. Louis was going to take you? Did you talk to them at all pre-draft? And um, you know, I noticed that you, 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 you know. Did you get traded to uh, Buffalo before you ever got to St. Louis? Yes. So I uh, I had no idea who was going to draft me. Uh, Never really talked to St. Louis one-on-one about anything. So it was just like, hey, they called your name, you go. Uh, I did get traded. uh, I want to say I went to one camp uh, my draft year, and then that winter I got traded over to Buffalo. Uh, right before the playoffs so never really got to uh, meet uh, you know anybody in St. Louis like in deep you know beside the one week I was there for a camp so yeah it was pretty early trade so you know people always ask me about what was my first theme and I always skip St. Louis because really Buffalo is when it all started. Dwayne? Hey there. No, I, I didn't hear. I didn't. It cut out there. Sorry. Um, 
Now, when you when you came over to Buffalo, obviously you started your career in Rochester. We did have Tortorella there for a little bit uh, as a head coach in Rochester. Were you there at the same time as Torts was? I missed Torts by one year. So my first year, year was 97-98, and I think they won the Calder Cup with Torts literally the year before, but he left. Uh, the year I got there, he was gone already, so I never had him. So you yeah, go, we got, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead, Johnny. No, so you go into Rochester, and, I mean, we've had plenty of goalies come on the show that, you know, they've spent, you know, five, six years in the minors. You know, you you were able to to get your, your first call up relatively quick. I saw here in your, your first year, that 97-98 year, um, you know, 211 penalty minutes. Uh, you know, that's – the American League was a tough league back then. It still is, right? And the, the meat grinder – um, you know, but impressive for you to find a way to get 16 games in the, in the national in just your second year. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that was like? And, and you know, obviously you're competing with, with your teammates that were in Rochester with you. Um, but, you know, also you guys are working together. And that's, you know, obviously when you got to play with, with Marty, um, you know, he had a real good year that year, um, your second year. Uh, just a little bit about what that, that team was like. Um, and, you know, obviously playing with some, some guys that got called up and had good careers with the Sabres, and, and what your first NHL game was like. Well, the, my first year was uh, – it, it was definitely a big adjustment uh, because I've never uh, – so, first of all, we – so, towards left, they hired Brian McCutcheon. He didn't have an assistant coach. So, he was a new coach. He coached in the East Coast League the year before. That first year, I think we had 11 rookies. So, the team was – we weren't good, basically. Let's put it that way. We weren't good, but I learned a lot uh, from a lot of, you know, veterans that were in the room. But I realized pretty quickly that for me to be able to get called up or really open some eyes, you know, yes, I'm a fast skater. Yes, I can move the puck. But, you know, the higher you get, the more it's like, hey, it takes something else in your game to bring that edge and uh, get frustrated of losing games. And I like to play the body, and I realized that in junior, you can hit all you want. You'll fight once in a great while, but in the pros, they don't like when the young kid comes around and is hitting veterans. So uh, pretty early on, I realized that I'm, I might have to drop the gloves a little more than I did in the past. And uh, I think that opened some eyes. Uh, I don't know, like, why, but for some reason it stuck out, and – yeah, I was on the score sheet every other night, but it was not necessarily a scoring goals. It was more like a major or <laughs> some kind of like cross-checking penalty or something. And I think the Sabres at that time were looking for a little bit more toughness on the blue line. And that probably played to my advantage, to be honest with you. But it was not something that was done by design. I think it just organically happened because – my first year, we happened to be terrible, and I was frustrated and, you know, got into a lot of fighting majors. If you look at my penalty minutes the years after, it started going back down to a more manageable level. Uh, but my first call up, I still remember getting the phone call the night before, and we were playing, the Buffalo Sabres were playing against the San Jose Sharks, and I'm going, I remember going up for morning skate. I was super nervous. And then played my first game, and uh, I ended up, uh, we won 4-1, to one, and I think I was a plus four that game. And I thought, I've got it made. I'm going to be in this league forever. This is awesome. But, uh, yeah, it didn't happen that way. <laughs> but, yeah, great experience for my first game, that's for sure. 
that is that's definitely one thing I do remember about you, Jean uh, Jean Lucas. You definitely could lay the boom, man. Um, especially on those boards and on open ice sets. Um, but uh, you know, I didn't catch many of your any like you know fighting majors. Do you have any memorable uh, memorable tilts? Uh, any tilts you had back today? We did have Rob Ray on last week, and he and he and he told us a few stories. Uh, I don't. There's no. One that I can't really remember. I remember my first NHL fight was uh, it was not by design at all, and I got caught up with uh, Sandy McCarthy over in uh, Philadelphia, and that was probably the one where I feared for my life the most because what happened is I think Paul Cruz and somebody else were fighting. Paul Cruz was fighting Luke Richardson, and then. Maybe Razor was fighting with Craig Berube at the same time, and I happened to be at, Sounds about right. at Tenor Ice. I happened to be at Tenor Ice with uh, Sandy McCarthy, and uh, he dropped his glove, and I'm like, oh boy. And uh, that was my first NHL fight, so it was definitely, uh, you know, you go from fighting in the in the minors with you know smaller guys, and then all of a sudden you have this legendary face breaker right in front of you in Philadelphia. It was a pretty scary moment, but hey, I survived it. <laughs> That's incredible. Now that 99-2000 Rochester team, just looking through, obviously some, some good players on that team, you know, guys that went on to play in the national between, you know, Scotty Nickel, Dimitri Kalinin, Max Finneganoff was there for a little bit. You know, like we talked about J.P. Dumont. Um but, man, I don't know. It must have been, a, a, you know, a slew of injuries because there's got to be about 50 players on this roster, you know, a lot of them less than 10 games. Um, what do you remember from that season? Because, obviously, this was your last year in the, in the Sabres system. Uh, you, obviously, you had 11 games up with the, the big club. Uh, but just what that year like was in general, um, you know, obviously before you started in Columbus. I would say – so the 98-99 years was awesome because we went to – went from barely making the playoffs the year before to going to the the Calder Cup finals. Uh, that year was awesome. Unfortunately, from January until, like, I want to say, like, June, I was not with the team uh, because uh, I, got, I got called up. So I was up in Buffalo all that time. And then the 99-2000 year was also – uh, Calder Cup Finals, like you said, a lot of great players, a lot of good veterans on there. Uh, that was, and then we made to the Calder Cup Final again that year. Like you said, a lot of great players, a lot of good minor leaguers as well. It was a perfect mix. Uh, and, and again, it's all the credit not only to the Rochester management, but also to the Sabres. I think they realized that first year, 97-98, after Torts left, uh, it's hard to bring up prospects in a losing environment and not being surrounded by, you know, a good veteran presence. And they addressed it right away. And obviously they knew the talent was there and we made it to the Calder Cup cha uh, championship two years in a row. Unfortunately, we didn't win it, but uh, those years were definitely more fun for everyone, including myself. <laughs> I definitely, I definitely want to piggyback off something you just said, Jean-Luc is uh you know, you can't bring prospects into a losing environment uh, or from a losing environment. You know, you can say a lot of that about Buffalo, too, because you have guys like here, I don't know how familiar you are with them, but guys like Rasmus Ristolainen, who has even been on record as saying as all he's ever done is lose. He's never won. And then he comes into this environment here in Buffalo where it's just been a losing culture now for a decade, uh, give or take a year. Um, just, you know, 
how much that means, especially at a young age, to 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 be developed in a winning culture, and how how much of that winning culture goes towards your development as far as being a successful NHL. Well, I think it's it's key because when you're in a losing environment all the time, a coach can push all they want, and the GM can walk in a room say you need to start winning, but until you experience growing in a winning environment and see what the sacrifices are with a winning team. And a lot of times it's an eye-opener when guys go from a losing team to a winning team and they realize they're like, I had it all wrong. And it's not that you're not trying your best when you're uh, on a losing team, but you really don't know what your best is because you're not getting rewarded. When you're on a winning culture, not only the expectation is set, but you look around the room and everybody's doing the right thing. And if somebody's not doing the right thing, they're being called out right in front of, the, in front of all their teammates. When you're all losing, you're, everybody's trying to find a winning, you know, uh, try to be the, the game breaker on their own. And a lot of time, instead of bringing a team together, it separates everyone. And if you go through that, like all the way from the minors, you're a pro while you're walking in that locker room in Buffalo it's like more of the same you don't know how to win and it's really not your fault that's what you grew up in so uh, I think it's really important for teams to make sure that they they produce good prospect but they also have a good environment to really grow into their role with the, the organization for sure now you, you go from the Sabres uh, you move on to, to Columbus and um, you know, that's you obviously you, you created strong roots in Columbus because, you know, you're still there today. Um, in that first year, you played with Jeff Sanderson and Ron Tugnut. I, I used to love Tugnut. Uh, my favorite goalie name of all time. Uh, actually, I crossed paths with him. I believe he was coaching somewhere in the, the CCHL, I believe, uh, when I was playing. And uh, I just used to love a Tugger. Uh, fun, fun name to say, but. You know, you go into Columbus, and uh, was that their first year as an expansion team? Yep, first year, yeah. I got uh, I got traded, I think, two days before the uh, – right before the uh, NHL, like, whatever, draft um, and the expansion draft, I got traded to Buffalo uh, – I mean, to Columbus. And, uh, yeah, literally, I think – uh, I want to say maybe two months later, I was here in Columbus and uh, never thought I'd stay here, honestly, because uh, I didn't know anything about Columbus, but uh, what a great city it's been. Yeah, I've, uh, I've been to, you know, Columbus a couple times too, and then just the, uh, the Ohio area, whether it be for a hockey game or, you know, I traveled to, um, you know, Cleveland to see the Bills play uh, a couple times. But um, just, you know, your thoughts on – how well hockey has done there since its inception into Columbus. Obviously, they were the first year, and now we get this new expansion team coming to Seattle. You know, what was it like being there, like, the very first year? How did the fans take to it? Were they excited? Did it, did it, did it take time for, for hockey to grow in Columbus to what it is now today? Uh, to what it is now today, for sure, it took time to grow. The first three, four years, I think there was a lot of excitement around the team because it was new. Uh, it was their first professional team here. So, the, you know, the arena was packed and, you know, they didn't care if you won, you lost. They, they, people were exciting, just like learning about the game, 
uh, it was funny because you go from a market like Buffalo was like hockey crazy. You know, it's almost like I always tell people Buffalo is basically part of Canada, the way they treat hockey. Uh, and uh, coming here, it was more of a social event, casual, you know, people didn't necessarily know all the rule. You would hear people get excited over nothing and then they would boo for no reason. Uh, so so it, was, it was definitely an adjustment. And then the Blue Jackets went through a, like a down where they didn't make the playoffs. And then I think when uh, John Torella, Jarmo Kekalainen, and John Davidson came at the helm, you know, it's it just been going up and up. And now I would, you know, Columbus is actually a really strong hockey market. They love their Blue Jackets. Yes, the Ohio Buckeye football team is still here, but you hear way more about the Blue Jackets than you never had over the last 20 years. So it's a good sign. Uh, the city have embraced the team, the players. Uh, it, it, it's awesome, honestly. Uh, I wouldn't change it for, for anything in the world being here. Do you expect the same result with some with a city like Seattle? I mean, I, up until up until a couple of years, I never thought of Seattle, you know, having a professional hockey team. But you know, I like the name, I like the jerseys. It's starting to grow on me. You know, do you think hockey has a chance in Seattle? I think they do. Uh, if you look at Seattle, so interestingly, I've, I've been all over the world. I've never been to Seattle myself, but you know, their soccer team is like one of the best in the MLS as far as a uh, crowd uh, support. Uh, obviously there's the Seahawks that do really well. I don't know about the Mariners cause I'm not a big baseball guy, but clearly they like their sports uh, and they'll support it. So who knows? I mean, Gary Bettman, you know, as much crap as we want to give him, he's been doing a really good job with the expansion. We, you know, I was the biggest doubter about Vegas, and he, I think it's probably the most successful franchise oh my God. Uh, in the NHL over the last couple of years. And I was the biggest doubter about uh, the NHL going to Vegas. So I would not be surprised if Seattle is just as big, honestly. Now, you mentioned that you've been around the world, and and um, looking at your hockey TV page, man, you got to play in, in, in some really cool cities. Um, any, anything that jumps out at you? Um, any cool stories? And obviously, it's a different game you know, with the bigger rinks and, um, you know, more of a focus. I imagine that your, your blazing speed obviously helped you out there, right? And, and it maybe allowed you to play, uh, you know, I don't want to say a more offensive role, but you could really use uh, your speed more in that big ice. Um, I guess here's a good question for you. What was your favorite stop uh, along the way between playing in Sweden and, and Germany and, and the Liga? What was uh, what was your favorite stop? My favorite stop was uh, for the hockey part of it. It was probably uh, oh boy, I had a lot of good ones. I would say Sweden was great. I really liked Sweden because it was a hockey. They're really smart with their hockey. Good support. Uh, you know, it's, it's obviously their main sport down there as well. And it was great for the family as well. But where I had the most fun was probably in Germany. Uh, one year I played in Dusseldorf and we had a really good, we had uh, like Sean Brown and Craig Johnson and uh, Jamie Storr. That was probably the year that had the most fun. Uh, it was a German league and we had like 11 North American and Don Jackson was our coach. So it basically felt like being back in Canada, but we're playing in Germany with the light schedule and having a whole lot of fun. So I would say 
my Germany was probably my favorite stop overall, but uh, really loved the hockey in Sweden. So real quick, your one year in uh, Lexans, you got to play with a young Oliver Ekman Larson. Did you know then that he was going to be the, this much of a stud? Yep, right away. I actually tried to get the jacket scout to look at him, but they told me he was not physical enough. And I was like, <laughs> you kidding me? I was like, do, do we know where this game is going? I was like, I'm on the ice with this guy every day. I, I remember telling him and I told uh, Robert Crone, who was, uh, he was uh, working for the Carolina Hurricanes at the time. And he was looking at Victor Rask because Victor Rask was on our team as well. But Lexon, honestly, it's a hockey factory down there. It's a little village of about 7,000 people. And Ekman Larson played there. Victor Rask played there. Uh, uh, what's his name? Forsberg. Uh, that's over in Nashville. Philip, Philip Forsberg. Philip Forsberg was there. Like the amount of talent that goes through that organization is ridiculous and uh to have all three of these guys on one team is quite impressive but yeah Ekman Larson I always knew just watching him patrol that blue line and never even look down at the puck ever was something that uh, I knew was going to make him special that's awesome Man. um also you know one of the coaching I was watching the Washington game yesterday there's, a, there's, a, there's another team that you had a, a quick stint in um, it, it really seemed to me that Todd Reardon was getting out coached. Um, and you know, one of the names that the broadcasters brought up that was still, uh, you know, coach vacancy is Gerard Gallant. And he's somebody that you got to play under in Columbus. Um, you know, could you see then that he, he had a bright future ahead of him as a, as a head coach? Uh, and do you think that he'll find another, uh, another home soon as a head coach in the national? There's no doubt that uh, Spud is going <laughs> to – that's why I call him Spud. But there's no way that Gerard is not, not going to get a job anytime soon because he's uh, – even back then, he was the most player-friendly type coach. And now the way coaching has evolved, you need to be able to connect with these young guys. Uh, it's not about, uh, hey, I'm right, you're wrong. It's about really creating a good relationship with your players where they still respect you, but they want to play with you. And Gerard Galan is one of these guys that he's very player friendly. Uh, he'll give you a break when you deserve a break. He'll be hard when he needs to be hard. But uh, I don't know what happened in Vegas. I'm not saying they did the right, they made the wrong decision because clearly they're still playing well. But uh, he's definitely somebody that will coach again and early on you could tell you can tell right away when somebody's going to be a head coach or not just by their behavior and he has all the amenities to be a great coach in this league that was wild man when they announced that they that they let him go Cully. like that was wild i know you, you have a you, you have a guy who had an expansion team and took them to the finals his first year like that was insane and then they have a they have a rough stint that 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 season and it's like oh you're gone They're like what I, I, I couldn't believe it. I felt sometimes I feel there was more to that than, than what the public knows. Yeah. I, I remember right. watching an interview with Kelly McCrimmon and uh, it's, he was really cryptic in his answers and there, there had to have been something more going on there. I uh, would love to know what's happening there. Um, but Jean-Luc, and, and I, I know that we've kept John a little bit, uh, but I'm really curious to, to, you know, pick your brain about the Columbus um, loved their series. And I'm sure Dwayne did too against Toronto. You know, we're not real big Leafs fans here in Buffalo. So that was awesome for us to, to see Columbus take them out. But 
like Dwayne said earlier, I'm a huge fan of John Tortorella. I love the, the way his teams play, you know, so sound defensively and their ability to counter so well off of that. Um, and, and just, you know, you, everybody thought that they were dead in the water after losing, um, you know, Panarin and Bobrovsky. But, you know, they've really come out and played really well. A uh, young player like Pierre-Luc Dubois has really stepped up. But I've been, you know, outside of the goaltenders, just to see how dominant of a deep pair. I think they are the best pairing in the NHL, Zach Wierenski and Seth Jones. Oh, my God, They're yeah. starting to now get some attention, you know, especially after that marathon overtime game. Um, so, you know, what are your thoughts on, on the team where they're at? And, you know, do they have the ability to, to repeat what they did last year against Tampa Bay? Obviously down two to one right now, but every game has been very close. I think they do have a chance. Uh, Tampa is better than last year. Uh, they've had, you know, uh, Goudreau and Pat Maroon, although it doesn't have a huge role there, but like they, they add a lot of little pieces that make them a little harder to play against. And uh, right now, if you're the Blue Jackets, game three did not look good. I think they were exhausted from playing the five games. They looked it. And then obviously, for game one, that goes into fifth overtime. I think they're retired, so they didn't practice, and then we'll be playing game three here. I like their chances. For me, I just think they need to shoot the puck more. Uh, if you look at game three, they only had seven shots on net in the last two periods. They were tired, but they're a team that needs to simplify their game, and that's when they play their best. The minute they try to tic-tac-toe and play outside of what is Blue Jackets hockey, which is basically ugly, block shot, lay down, dump the puck, chase it, and shoot the puck and hope it hits somebody in front of the net. The minute they get out of that structure, things are not going to go their way. And uh, that's just what they need to get back to, and they'll be fine. I like their chances a lot. They're a resilient group. They had so many injuries this year. Everybody was missing. I mean, at one time, I think we had 11 guys from Cleveland playing on a regular basis in the lineup. That's how crazy of a year it's been. But Torts is a master psychologist in sport, man. I'm telling you, he could get me to run through a, a brick wall anytime. The way he talks to you, the way he can motivate people, it's incredible. And uh, I truly believe he's going to win the Jack Adams this year. You, you, literally, you literally just stole my thunder there a little bit, Jean-Luc, because I was actually going to bring up the, the, the Jack Adams discussion when it comes to Torts. Because you look at what Columbus did last year at the deadline and how they essentially mortgaged everything and said, we're going to try and win right now. And not taking anything away from the guys they have on the team now, but, like, they, they gave up a lot at the deadline to bring in guys that they didn't retain and bring back. And, you know, I don't think anyone expected them to be competing as well as they are right now, but that's how good of a coach John Tortorella is. Um, you know, and when you said – I used to say what you said, uh, you know – get his players to skate through a brick wall. I used to say that about two different coaches, Lindy Ruff and Ted Nolan here in Buffalo, because you didn't have the most skilled group of guys all the time here in Buffalo in those years. But I mean, you had, you know, world-class goaltending, which is what you're getting right now from Corpus Allo. And then you had a, a coach who just knew how to co coach his team up and motivate them to play uh, outside of themselves almost. Uh, for the better good of the team. And, yeah, they may give up a ton of shots, but you know what? You know, they're, they're making it work. Uh, they're, they're 
they're keeping Tampa Bay. I don't want to say that the Tampa Bay is like a perimeter team, but they're they're managing they're managing the scoring chances where a lot of the shots are coming along from the outside. Um, so that just goes to speak to how great of a coach John Tortorella is, and how hard and how tough. Like all those words you use, you know, you use tough, hard. Um, you know, you know, those all are perfect words to explain a John Tortorella coached hockey team. And you know, I, I mean, I, I'm not gonna lie, I, I did doubt Columbus a little bit coming into the season, but you can never really doubt John Tortorella, man. You can't. Yeah, you can't because uh, he's really good at making adjustments. You know, if you look at coaches, you know, you go into a game with a game plan, and he gets a lot of uh, he gets a lot of criticism because he changes his lines all the time, and it's hard for like people like me as an analyst. You know, we start the game and we're like, okay, it's going to be Dubois with this guy and this guy. And then second line is going to be Jenner with this guy and this guy. And then after two shifts, you see something he doesn't like, he switches it right away. He doesn't wait that to be down to nothing to make that change. He'll make the change on the fly. And he doesn't care who it is. I don't care if you're Pierre-Luc Dubois or if you're my fourth line left winger. He's like, if he doesn't like what he sees, he's going to address it right away. And I think the guys respect them for that because I've talked to some guys that are no longer with the Blue Jackets that had a hard time in the public eye with torts and off the air, you know, casual conversation between two people. They've all told me they love playing with torts. That's crazy because, you know, you look, you read it, you read the papers and you're like, Oh my gosh, the torts hate this guy. This guy can't stand torts. And you'll see them in, you know, two years later, and they're like, oh, I love playing with Tarzan. like, oh, he's just being nice. It's the truth. He is as honest as it comes with all his players. And as a pro, that's what you want. As somebody that's like straight up tells you the truth, he'll tell you how it is, and you do what you want with it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. We have a great Tortorella story that we got from Steve Shields when we had him on the show uh, when Stevie was in uh, Rochester. And, uh, Torts had an issue with him, and Torts called him into a side room off a lock. I think it was like during an away game, and uh, he pretty much got done, you know, reading reading the riot act. Steve's so much bigger than Torts. You get the small guy just looking up at you, just screaming at you, and uh, he said, you know, pretty much told him that he sucked and he didn't. He should, he should quit playing hockey. Uh, whatever he said to Shield Shieldy, and he, he, uh, the the conversation ended with, you know, we got anything to say for yourself? And he goes, well, he's like. And and Shields goes, well, kind of want to hit you in the face right now. <laughs> he goes, and he said he, he looked up at him and he poked him in the chest and said, effing try it or something or fucking try it or something like that. And it's like, that sounds just like John Tortorella. Yep, that sounds like old Tort. <laughs> now, I will say he has changed because obviously things like that don't happen much anymore because, you no, know, it's no. a different generation and that's what makes him successful he's around because you know he's changed his ways he found new ways to motivate people and again we talk about Chelios adjusting his game from early in the days to now Torts is the same way he found a way to literally change the way he approaches the games and the players and uh it works for sure for sure um I uh I know we got to wrap it up here in a minute, but uh, John Luke, any anything that sticks out in your mind, and, and uh, you know, for for teams that that they could be dark horses this year in the playoffs, or, or who, who's your pick to come out of the East, and who's your pick to come out of the West? 
Oh, out of the West, uh, early on, you know, before all the series started, like even the uh, round robin, I was thinking you can't count Vegas out. Uh, I mean, not Vegas, uh, St. Louis out. But uh, right now, looking at the games, I don't see how somebody's going to beat the Vegas Golden Knights. I think they're playing incredible hockey, high pace, good goaltending. Uh, they're going to be hard to, to 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 look over. On the east side, it's a different story, man. Uh, again, early on, I was thinking Carolina is going to be coming out flying, which they did. Uh, but the more I'm looking now, I have no clue. I think the east is really like up for grabs. Uh, yeah, it's up for grabs. I mean, it could be anyone. Uh, out west, I would say Vegas. Out east, honestly, it's too early to tell, man. I can't tell you who's going to win anything because every series – I mean, the Islanders are playing well. Uh, the Islanders are playing well. Tampa's playing well. Jackets are playing okay. I think they're tired right now. But, uh, yeah, who knows? Boston could win it. Who knows? I have no clue. Tough question. Uh, my last question for you is uh, with the goaltending, obviously we touched on a little bit before, uh, but just about how, you know, with Bobrovsky leaving and, you know, him playing so much when he was there, you know, obviously Corbisalo got in a little bit, uh, you know, and some, you know, mop up duty and, and, you know, as a backup, um, did you know that he was going to be able to come in and have the success that, that he did this year and taking over and, and the same thing with Elvis, you know, here's a guy that, you know, struggled as, to, to get that first win, but once he did, he was on a roll. Um, and and he's been, he's been, you know, nine twenty three save percentage this year, two thirty five goals against. Uh, they've both been, you know, bright lights in in that in, for that team. Yeah, no, no clue. Nobody had a clue. John Torello didn't have a clue. Nobody knew exactly <laughs> what was going to happen with the goaltending situation. Honestly, uh, we knew that. There was a lot of high hope for Elvis. You know, we heard he was the best goaltender, you know, outside of the NHL that was available. Uh, Corpy, we've seen him play well in the past. We've seen him struggle in the past as well. But the way these two have been able to step up their game when it matters uh, is the main thing for me. And that's when you know you have a good goaltender. When the team had to lean on them, they really stepped up to the plate and did their job. So, it's going to be an interesting situation with two elite goaltenders uh, right now in the lineup moving forward. But thankfully, Jackets signed both of them to two-year extension. So uh, we'll see what happens there. But, uh, yeah, the Jackets are definitely grateful to have Corpy uh, being able to stand tall right now because Elvis is hurt right now. So at least you have one of two options that will work. Yeah, with that, no, with that being said, um... Uh, just two more, two more uh, thoughts to get across to you, Jean-Luc. Um, one being, and I, I, I put this out on Twitter yesterday, with both of them playing as well as they are right now, Carpasello and obviously Elvis, he said he's hurt. Um, so, you know, I mean, both have been horses for this organization. Do you, do you foresee a situation where Columbus might even part with one of them to help build, build, their, build that offense up more? Because, I mean, I think – I've always been an advocate of not paying a goalie a ton of money. I think teams like Chicago and Pittsburgh have proven in the past that you can build in front of them and get a, get a good goaltender, but not, you know, I'm not saying they're not a leader that playing there. They're definitely playing elite, but I, I was, I was a huge fan of you, of them, not nothing against Bobrovsky, but I just 
just not, I don't think any goalie is really worth $10 million a year, especially when you see what happened with Corpusalo and Elvis coming in and pay, playing as well as they are right now at the price tag that you have them at. Um, do you foresee both of them being here, being in Columbus for, for an extended amount of time? Or do you think like the right move at some point down the line would probably, you know, trade, trade one of these guys, you know, for the betterment of you know, the team offensively? Yeah, I, I think I think if you look at this Blue Jackets team, there's basically like I would say there's one untouch, untouchable guy, and it's free Seth Jones. I think everybody else could be traded for the right person. Uh, goaltending is a highly desired position in the NHL, so mm-hmm. if they get the right call, I would say they would probably move one of the two. I don't know which one. But they do also have a couple prospects coming to North America next year that are highly touted as well in goal. So for the Blue Jackets, they're in a good situation on the back end. Um, I think every team should draft at least one goalie every year at the draft. I don't care if it's in the first round or the seventh round. I think every team needs to draft a goalie every year because development of a goaltender is so odd. You can have a first-round pick that doesn't turn out well and a seventh-round pick that turns out to be a superstar. And the Jackets have done that over the last few years. Very smart move of them. So, yeah, at some point, one of them is going to be wanting to be a true number one, uh, I'm sure, somewhere else. So that could happen. Maybe this summer, maybe next summer, who knows? I would not be surprised, though. To answer your question, yes, I would see probably one of them moving on, but I don't think it's going to be next season. Yeah, and, and, you know, going again back to Bobrovsky, you know, the, the deal he signed in Florida, uh, it was like a seven- or eight-year deal. Um, and then the, that same year, they go in the first round and take a goalie at Spencer Knight. And nothing against Bobrovsky or Spencer Knight, but that was just an odd move to me. I know, you know, like you said, it's odd, the development of a goaltender. It takes longer. You know, you, you, you want to give them more time to develop. Um, but I just feel it's a competitive nature of, of, of us goalies. You know, do we, we can now call you a goaltender. Uh, like our competitive nature is we want to be in the net like that that we, we don't want to sit behind the bench you want to be in the net and especially a guy like Bobrovsky being such a, an elite tenured goaltender that he is if I'm wording that correctly and then you have this kid named Spencer Knight who might be you know, you know he's like his he might be ready in two or three years he might want to play he might be like well, what are we waiting for and then you have a guy like Bobrovsky who's sitting there collecting this paycheck for 10 million dollars a year when you get to bring in a guy like Spencer Knight to maybe play just as well, maybe not as well, but you'd be saving so much money against your cap by having Spencer Knight. That was such an odd move by Florida for me, in my opinion, is to, to, to use that first-round draft pick. And it wasn't a, like a low first-round draft. I think it was like in the mid, middle of the first round on a, on a goaltender. Um, so I, like, I just – I don't know. I just, I'm, not a big, I'm not a big advocate of paying goalies. Just leave it at that. Yeah, I, I get it. Uh, you look at the – a lot of teams have the, like big, you know. You look at Carey Price; he's still carrying Montreal, yeah. but it would be nice to have a little bit of leeway there yes. because the way the, the <laughs> yes. way the league is going now is you're going with two, two, you know, the two goaltender, like the the, the kind of like a tandem one one A one B is the way mm-hmm. to go now. And when you drop ten million or nine million or eight million on just one goaltender, uh, it's hard to you know find money for your second one. And then also you're like, hey, I could use a little more scoring, a little more defense. And I think that's one of the things Florida realized this year. It doesn't matter how good your goalie is. 
if he doesn't have a good line of defense in front of him, he's still going to get scored on. And I think Bob found out this year that the scoring chance he got against last year with the Columbus Blue Jackets and what he had to face with the Florida Panthers are two completely different style of plays. And uh, I bet you uh, that he, I don't say he's regretting Florida because it's a nice town, nice living, tax-free. I don't, don't get me wrong, but I think as teams are looking to get better, yes, good goaltending is definitely key, but don't overpay for a, def- uh, for a goalie. Maybe put the team Thank in you. front of them a little bit better. <laughs> Carey Price, I'm, trust me, as great a goaltender Carey Price is, you're telling me Montreal fans have given – like, he got paid $15 million as he did. 15, I, mean, I know it's an average of time, but he made $15 million this year for a two – for a 2.79 goals against average. Yeah, he's playing out of his mind right now, but wouldn't you rather have it where you might have maybe a couple more 20 goal scorers on your team and maybe a, a, a better than average goaltender in that? I mean, I don't know. I just, I, I just, I just can't, I, I can't get behind that thought. I, 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 even here in Buffalo, I would never want to pay a goalie more than say six, six and a half a year. I completely agree with you guys. It's kind of like the new uh, run. It's like the running backs in football. That's basically a new position in there in goaltending. Yeah. A one, uh, one, two running back duo is better than one stud. And I think uh, for goaltenders, the exact same thing in the NFL, in the NHL. For sure. I got. I that uh, was it for me. I I think it's great, John Luke, that you've you've been able to, you know, strap up the pads and join the goalie fraternity. Um, well, here's my one last question. Outside of the easy answers in Columbus, who is your favorite goalie in the NHL right now? I have become a huge Carter Hart fan. I got the chance to meet him uh, this past year. Uh, well, this uh, last summer, um, you know, I worked with his goalie coach, um, Shane Clifford. But uh, he's somebody that's been really fun for me to watch. He had an incredible game last night. Seeing him in Carey Price battle um, has been extremely fun to watch, too. Uh, who's your favorite goalie in the NHL right now? I would say we just talked about him. I think uh, for me, Carey Price is probably the mo- the one that I enjoy the most watching. Uh, like his footwork, his skating is like spectacular, and he looks so calm. The most exciting, and it might be because I watch him all the time, is probably Elvis Merzlikens. I love the way he battles, and uh, his athleticism is off the charts as well. So two different style, but you know I'm 43 years old, so I try to replicate Carey's. Terry Price's technique and stuff, Elvis, because if I try Elvis, I'd be I'd pull a groin within the first five minutes of the game. My favorite goalie right now on the planet Earth is absolutely Jean-Luc Grandpierre. Without a doubt. I didn't know he even existed until about an hour ago, but I'm definitely a fan. Definitely a fan. Uh, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me again. Hey, Jean-Luc, always a pleasure, man. We appreciate your time, and hopefully – you know, Columbus advances on. We'll have you back on. All right, man. See ya. Take care, guys. You too, sir. All right, bye. That was Jean-Luc Grandpierre for episode 27 of Two Goals, One Mike. Dwayne, that was a lot of fun. Um, that was He's awesome, man. I, you know, I, I read that he was a goalie, but I wasn't sure, like you said in that with I had no game. idea. Well, I, I didn't know because it said <laughs> right crazy. after that he won like a world championship. I'm like, is this real? I didn't want to bring it up. If it wasn't. <laughs> but no, I'm happy that came out, man. What a trick. That's cool. Was. He's somebody we that. Thought, we thought we weren't getting a goalie here, but we, apparently we got a goalie. 
well, I know I sound like an idiot here. I'm like, you know, uh, 95% of our guests are goalies. We make an exception. He's like, no, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, uh, no, 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 no. He was great, man. It's a lot of fun too. I, I was thinking about it last night. Um, you know, that when, you know, having these contacts or the, you know, everybody that's working within a team, um, you know, with Vancouver, um, it, it's going to be fun. Um, shit, I'll edit this out. What's his name? Her, what's his name? For who? Vancouver. For who? Markstrom? No, the guy we interviewed. Oh, uh, Harmon. Harmon Dial. Harmon. All right, so three, two, one. It's going to be fun for us, Dwayne, as we get going. Now that we've, uh, you know, we've interviewed some guys that are still working within the league. Um, you know, especially I was thinking about it last night with when watching the Vancouver St. Louis game. Love to get Harmon's take on on that series because that's been one of the best series so far, in my opinion. Um, but some a lot of oh good my God, yeah. hockey. I'm I'm a big advocate, big fan of Vancouver. Um, I think um, they're a very exciting team to watch, and I've always been a fan of Markstrom and that, and I uh, like watching him play. I think they got a ton of depth up the middle, which is in, especially in the playoffs is what you need. Um, they got a lot of talent now on the back end with Hughes. Did you see that pass by Hughes the other night? Yeah, the I was floated above. Oh my god! Like that was amazing off the boards. After oh. playing thirty minutes to end the game with the game on your stick. And hey, did you see the gif afterwards of him um, looking at whoever hit him? And I'd love to know what he yep, said. Yep, they were getting up. They were getting up together. And, like, there was no excitement on his face. It was like he was afraid to get excited because he was there right next to the guy who hit him. I was like, oh, man. Like, Bo played out of his mind, man. That was He played, like, your, the way you want your captain to play. That guy that guy put the team on his back uh, that game. And was he, uh, it was a two-goal night for him. Oh, unbelievable effort by Bo Horvat. You know what? It's it's been fun to see, um, you know, different guys step up, and uh, you know, you're starting to see like some of these young guns really make a name for themselves. Bo Horvat's been a guy that, you know, and and Harmon touched on this when we talked to him. He, a lot of people, you know, were criticizing him, but uh, he's a guy that's come out and played really well, man. And um, you know, with him being a young captain, that's not an easy thing to do, especially in that media market of of Vancouver. You know, unless you win a Stanley Cup there, they're gonna hate you. Um, so yep. I only got to play against Bo for one year, but even as a 16 year old, I can remember him just embarrassing me, um, him and Max Domi both. So I knew then that, that, you know, here's the thing though, Dwayne, he wasn't the best skater and I still don't think he is, but he's found a way to tighten up his stride, but man, he's a special player to watch. But I think we'd be remiss Dwayne, if we didn't talk about the goaltending battle between Carey Price and Carter Hart, because I think it's safe to say that Carey Price has been the guy that most goalies look up to her. He's like the golden yep. standard, right? The past five yep. years. He is. He is. I won't and, take I won't take anything away from Carey Price. You know, I I know I know I get on him a lot on Twitter and whatnot. Like I'm not trying to say that Carey Price is a bad goalie. I just don't think he is what he used to be. Um, at, you know, when he won the Hart Award, and I don't uh, I just don't think that he's worth the price tag you have on him right now. And I think the offense and the team in front of him. You know, shows that I think you need to put more money into the team itself rather than paying your goalie. You know, in this case, fifteen million dollars this year, an average of ten a year. He's making fifteen this year. He, I, I'm I'm ninety nine percent positive. I read on his uh, online that he's making fifteen million dollars this season. 
That's wild. Yeah, I, I think that yeah. anytime – you see it with the Leafs. They've hamstrung themselves with – you know, obviously those are three unbelievable players in, in uh, Tavares, um, Marner, and Matthews. But, like, that stat I, I said last week, at the, during that series, the, 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 those three players made the same amount of money as Columbus's whole forward group. Yeah, and I'm sorry. And it, it was just a complete mismanagement, too. And I, I know I hate it at least one. But you, you can't put all of that talent on, on your top two lines and say, fuck your bottom two lines. And especially, I'm sorry, nothing against Frederick Anderson, but he's not Carey Price. He's not what? a guy that you can just expect to be go out there and, and, win you, and, and bail you out time after time after time when those top guys aren't on the ice. The, the only problem I have with Freddie is it seems like, whether this is fair or not, as a goalie guy myself, when, when the backs are against the wall and you need that one save in a deciding game, he hasn't been there to make it, Dwayne. And like I said, yep. is that fair? I don't know. But the past three years, you know, he just hasn't gotten it done. And, and I'll look no, to that. He hasn't. Game, three, game three against Columbus or, or game five, whatever it was, that second goal in the third period to make it oh. two. I mean, that, that's such a deflating goal. That's a save you need to make. And um, let's, I don't know. And, and let's – and let's be real here, Johnny. That doesn't even make it to a game five if Zach Wierenski isn't hurt the last ten minutes of game four. I agree. I completely agree. Uh, doesn't I even make it. Saw, although I've been really impressed with Gavrikov, um, it, you know, on that second pair for Columbus, you take away Wierenski or Jones. Yeah, and, you just can't replace that's that. That's a different team. I think that speaks volumes to how important they are. Now, that's a guy I'd pay eight, nine, ten million dollars a year. Between those two, yep. like they are the best defensive pair in in the national. And I will go. I will die on that hill. Um, but the point I was trying to make is, it's fun to watch. I watched the game last night. I, I got it on in the background here as we record. But it's fun to see maybe the baton being passed. And I know this is really early to say, and I, I'm fully on the Flyers bandwagon, so I might be biased here. But the, the baton being passed from Carey Price to, to Carter Hart, because man, are they similar? Yes. But Carter Hart is very efficient in his movements. He seals the bottom of the ice really well, and he has got very good hands. So been really fun to watch him play, man. I think that Philadelphia, as long as he stays healthy, they got a gem on their hands, brother. Absolutely. Just Again, just another example is just like you can have a goalie who is as good as Carey Price is when you sign him to that contract, or Bobrovsky is when you sign him to that contract. But you never know when a Carter Hart is going to come along, or Corpusalo, and Elvis, and be just as good. And you could just save so much money to put towards, you know, players offensively. You know, you, you know, I, I, like I said, um, you know, I look at Carey Price's contract. He he is making 15 this year. It's a uh, an incentive of 13 million and a signing bonus of 2 million. 15 million dollars this year, this year. That's for a goalie who, who for a goalie who in his regular season had a 2.79 goals against. So I think that that's absurd money to spend on anybody, and let alone a goaltender. But think about this. Carter Hart is on his entry-level deal, so that's an $800,000 cap hit. Dude, think about that. The value that the Flyers are getting, not only for this year, but next year as well. Like, that's craziness, man. You say that that in any sport, too. Look at what the Kansas City Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes in his first couple years. They won a fucking Super Bowl. And he was making – he just now, this offseason, finally signed – our, the biggest deal a quarterback has ever signed, but like you want, you, you, you yeah, you, you, but you won a Super Bowl with him on, you know, an entry level rookie deal. 
you know, you, you, you look at what, we, what the Sabres have done when they wasted Jack Eichel's entry-level deal. You know, Toronto essentially wasted away, you know, the uh, entry-level deal. They had Austin Matthews on, you know. I, I, I fear that with Rasmus Dahlin this next season because you're getting these fucking studs. It's such a good price tag. You should do something with that. Build around them. Like, get the talent there. But, no, you have so much, you know, I don't know. I just, you know. You know, I, I, I look at I, I look at what Philly, like you said, is doing with Carter Hart. You have a goal, you have an entry level contract, eight hundred K a year, and you they already have the talent in front of him, you know, to win a cup. You add a few more pieces of that lineup, man. You're look you're looking at a Stanley Cup champion caliber team right there. For sure, man. And uh it's gonna be I, 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 I never thought I'd say this, but I am full I've been looking at buying a Philadelphia Flyers starter hat. I am so all in on the Flyers, Dwayne. I can't tell you. I have a man crush. It's hard, hard for me to I know be it a, is. I know it crushing is. Crushing on a Philadelphia team, but I know it doesn't sound right. It doesn't feel right. My Buffalo bones are are, are telling me no. But like, man, I I'm all in on the Flyers. I think it's because I like Kevin Hayes too. He's a beauty. Um, I love Claude Giroux. Um, Jakey Voracek is another guy. Sean Couturier, Voracek. I think, is the um best defensive center, maybe the most underrated center in the, in the national. But um, I, I agree with you there. It's going to be fun to watch them. And, uh, you know, and they're what? not paying a boatload of money for those guys either. They're not. No, no. They're all on pretty reasonable deals. Nope. Even Giroux, yep. um, I think, is on a, like an $8.5 million deal, which is, you know, I think he's one of the top top five, top ten centers in the league, you know. Yep, I 100% agree. Um, you know, and let's hope that, you know, I, and it's disappointing. I know we're still in the playoffs here, so – your, your hands are kind of tied with what you can do, but just seeing the lack of movement, lack of activity here in Buffalo, you know, you don't even, even have an assistant GM hired yet. They just now finally hired a, a head coach in Rochester. Um, they brought in Matt Ellis to be the uh, player development coach, which, I mean, I, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know much about Matt Ellis. I just know about more about Matt Ellis, the player. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, his, you know, abilities and that, in that area as far as, you know, player development. I just – it's it's scary, man, because if the, the signs keep pointing more and more to it looks like this we're going to be pinching pennies this next year rather than trying to build a, a, a playoff-caliber team. Yeah, I uh, – there's not anything good I could say about what's going on. And, and I, I – you remember, I was one of Kevin Adams' biggest defenders when this first came out, and um, – I, I think it was interesting to hear um, – who is it that we had um, – no, it was I, – I can't say who I was talking to. I was talking to a former scout of the Buffalo Sabres, and um, he gave me some really good inside info on what it was like to work for the Pagoulas. In those first few years, it was great. And there was no uh, – there was no cutting, you know, you know, pinching pennies, like you said. But even right away that they, they had this idea that you could cut down a lot of costs – by turning all the scouting into video scouting. And there's something to be said about watching somebody in person and doing it the way that everybody else has done it, the, the whole history of hockey, right? So I know with yep. advances in technology, there's going to be some things that can be done differently, but there's something to be said. If everybody else is doing it a certain way, they must, they must be doing something right. So uh, yeah, that and you know what conversation what, I had. What, 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 you know, bothers me too, I know his name's been thrown out a lot, is why isn't Rick Dudley the biggest name on the Sabres' radar right now as far as bringing in as an assistant GM or working on this? He lives in Lewiston. He lives here. His contract just ended with Carolina. He's available. 
why why is this organization not doing everything to bring in a guy like Rick Dudley, who's essentially you know revolutionized uh, you know I, I believe it was like video scouting things like that the way analytics are used in, in the game today. The guy's name is so respected in this league, and you want to just not bring him in to help be you know a guiding hand for a newbie GM like Kevin Adams, who let's be real, the guy has no experience <laughs> being a general manager. A year and a half ago, or a year ago, he was you know, with the Academy of Hockey. Yeah. You know, like, I, I don't know. It's confusing, man. Only time will tell. I, I can tell you what, Dwayne, I'm not optimistic. And uh, I want to be careful that I don't, you know, beat a dead horse too much before it happens. Because, hey, wouldn't it be a nice surprise to be proven wrong? Yeah, it would. But It, I, it would I, be. It's going to happen. But um, then again, I, there's a reason I'm here, and uh, they're there, so. Um, it's hey, true, you know. It's the reason why it's the reason why we're doing the show from my dining room and your bedroom. Any, <laughs> any closing <laughs> thoughts on on uh, this part of today's show? Uh, a lot of fun with John Luca. You know, he's a really nice guy. Uh, like I said, I, I I mentioned in the beginning of the show there was a goal of his that I remember. Uh, I, it was partly partly his name too. I loved his name. Jean Pierre, um, yeah, yeah, right. I think it was a preseason game, man, where he just had an absolute piss missile from the point, and it went, and then it was like the puck had eyes. I mean, I don't know. It could have been deflected. I don't know, but it was just like I was watching that. Like, wow, man, that guy has a rock, and I like him. I love saying his name. Jean-Luc Grandpierre. Like, I just I, – hearing, hearing Rick used to yell it. It was like, oh, man, yep, he's, he, he's one of my favorite guys now. And then two years later, he's gone. Yeah, it's tough, man. Um, I wonder – I, I, you know what? He was a lot of fun though. I, there's no way around it. He, yeah. Good for him on, on getting in with Columbus. And um, I definitely, I wish I had the Fox sports, um, you know, Columbus channel. Cause I'd love to, to see his takes, man. He sounds like uh, he knows his stuff and uh, he'd, be a, yep. he'd be a treat to watch. So he was, I, I believe it was NHL network. I was actually, and this is what surprised me the most is I was watching him live on TV uh, I want to say it was on NHL Network. Uh, they were talking about the Blue Jackets. And I was like, oh, yeah, man, you know, I would love to get him on the show. I searched him out, found uh, found his uh, social media accounts. I sent him a message. And then not even like an hour later, I got a response. Like, dude, you were just like on the air. You just took the time to respond to thoughts. Thanks, man. Yeah, dude, it was just like, cool. yeah. So, you know, it's been that, that, that's, that's the most fun thing I think about this, you know, ever since we started this podcast is, having the uh, encounters we've had with, with former pros, writers for The Athletic, uh, you know, other podcasters, stuff like that. That's been the most fun part about it with me is, like, I can look at my phone. I have guys like Jean-Luc Grandpierre in my phone, you know, uh, you know Clint Malarchuk, uh, you know. Um, you know, we, we'll have him on soon here. You know, Patrick O'Sullivan, he's agreed to come on the show. And um, I, I mentioned to you, Can Jansen is going to be on the show. Uh sooner rather than later just other that, you know, other guys gonna be a riot cam jansen's gonna be absolutely electric yeah absolutely man he's a funny guy man i've I've heard the stuff before uh between his podcast and he did something recently on barstool it was a lot of fun to listen to a guy's a riot so he'll be a lot of fun too um so well, with that being said uh you know up next we're gonna have a local celebrity um on the show uh melody martin uh we all know who she is she writes a lot of the a lot of the songs that Sabres related songs. She's a huge, you know, a super fan of the team, uh, you know, much like me, myself and Akali. Um, but, you know, it was funny because after the team came out, we didn't even, we didn't even touch on the Royal Blue jerseys yet. Um, you know, 
with that, you know, with that being said, the Sabres actually tweeted directly at her, asking her for a song about the Royal Blue Jersey that she delivered within 24 hours. That's incredible. She's got a lot of talent, man. This is going to be a fun one. So make sure you guys tune in. Uh, We'll hear from our sponsors real quick, and then we'll be back with Melody Martin. This podcast is brought to you by Mitt's Barbershop, created and owned by a true friend of the program, Justin Gritsky. Mitt's is a modern-day barbershop that provides a cool atmosphere featuring some of the greatest barbershops Buffalo has to offer. Come in, enjoy a free beer, play some video games, and get the best haircut in the area. When I asked Justin what sets Mitt's apart from the evil chain super-duper cuts that we see at every intersection, his answer says it all. My vision was to create the only true barbershop in Cheektowaga. When customers walked in, I wanted them to get that feeling they got when they strolled into the barbershops of old, the golden era of what a barbershop meant, not just a place to get your hair cut. So if you're looking for the real deal, come on down to Mitt's to get the real feel of what a true barbershop is and what it's supposed to be. The clear-cut top dog for all your haircutting needs. Look no further than Mitt's Barbershop. And when you mention that two goalies and one mic sent you in, receive $5 off your haircut that day. Talk about customer service at its finest. Located at 3461 Genesee Street in Cheektowaga, It is located right next door to the 33 Speakeasy Bar and Grill. Their phone number is 868-1424, and their hours are Monday, 12 to 6, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. On Saturday, they're open from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. and closed on Sundays because why not? Everybody deserves a little Sunday fun day. I want to finish this ad read off by reading a great testimonial from one of Mitt's loyal customers. Tired of the cookie cutter salons trying to get your attention? Also tired of those men-focused salons? Then when you leave, you feel like you just visited a Supercuts for Men and the haircut isn't any better? Then Mitt's is the place for you. Great cut, very professional, great atmosphere. A great place for men to get cut and trimmed up. I'm honestly a little sad I'm only visiting Buffalo because I need something like Mitt's back home. You heard it here first. Come on down to Mitt's for a great cut and an even better experience. We're happy to have them as a sponsor to the show. And we hope you join us in finding out what makes Mitt's just so special. Thanks again to Justin and all the hard work him and his staff do. And without further ado, we'll kick it back to two goalies, one Mike. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Um, We appreciate that word from our sponsors. Wouldn't be able to do what we do without them. So I know everybody's looking scraggly here uh, coming out of the quarantine. So be sure to go over to Mitt's Barbershop. Get that lettuce trimmed up. Without further ado, we are pleased to be joined by the one and only Melody Martin. Uh, Melody, thank you so much for being here. For those of you that don't know, and I don't know how it's possible, they must be living under a rock, Melody has burst onto the scene with some electric um, Buffalo Sabres parody songs. And um, I'll leave it at that, but it's, it's, um, it's a pleasure to have you on, Melody. Thanks again for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. 
Yeah, thanks again, Melody, for sure. Um, I know me and you have been, you know, con in contact back and forth for a couple of months now about bringing you on. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of your stuff. Uh, you know, me and you both kind of went viral at the same time. What was it now? Six months ago now, would you yeah. say? Feels like forever ago, but yeah. Feels Probably. like forever, yeah, you know, during this whole quarantine and COVID. Uh, but, you know, um, you really came onto the steam with that uh, Hey There, Jason Botterill song. Um, back in like you know when the tension and the pressure was the most on him um I think that was probably right around the trade deadline and you know the lack of the lack of movement at the deadline you know you know for the lack of a better word I uh you know you came on with that song and I always like to think it would be really funny like not maybe not funny but after you know when he got shit canned that uh you know you he was in a bar then you happened to walk in and you recognize, like, oh, no, oh, shit, there he is. I, oh. <laughs> like, whoa, whoa. You know, I, yeah, yeah, I kind of talked a ton of shit about you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, like, um, no, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it was just, it was so funny, because um, there was a point where I was, I was working with this guy, and he told me that he was actually talking to Kyle Poso, and um, he, he brought up my song, because it was, like, kind of right around that time I released it. And he said that Kyle knew all about it and, like, the guys knew all about it. I was like, oh, my God, no. <laughs> That's not what I was going for. That's incredible, though. I mean, hey, like, I'm sure they got a kick out of it because they, those guys in the room, they're, they're just as – they want to be successful just as much as we want them to be. And I'm sure that not all of them saw eye-to-eye -eye with Jason Botterill, especially when – listen, I know that Ryan O'Reilly took a lot of shit from the media, but we always constantly ask – we always constantly give hockey players shit for giving these um, – cliche answers right and then when one of them's honest with us then we 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 like carve them and and, and make them under the cross right so i i think that the way we treated ryan o'reilly was a joke and i i can guarantee you i know that the media tried to make it out like him and jack there was a riff there and okay. i just don't see that anymore uh, especially hearing that when they came in town they went out to dinner you don't do that with a guy that you're not friendly with right and um, so for them, I'm sure that they uh, they were scratching their heads just as much as we were. So I think that's great that Akposo and the boys knew about your song. I would love to know if it ever got played inside that locker room. That would be incredible. I, I was just like, I was like, if they all know about it, then you know Jason heard it. So like, I was, I was like, oh God, <laughs> can you imagine how awkward that would be just to hear, your, hear you get called out in like a plain white tease song? Like, oh my God. <laughs> well, hey, the lyrics, the way you match the lyrics to that song is, is a work of art. Um, just even the first, I was reading the lyrics of the first verse and it is, like Dwayne said, it's poetry and it is incredible. Poetry, yeah. And um, I'm sure if, Bot, if Bots has kids, imagine if he comes home one day after, you know, getting shit on all day and, and knowing that he fucked up and not sure of his job and his kids are bumping this song. That would be an incredible <laughs> sight to see, man. Oh. It, it's, it's, it's great. I, uh, well, it's never great when somebody gets fired, but at the same time, you know, I, I think it was more of a relief here in Buffalo when he did. But uh, like you said, man, um, it you know, the fact that the players knew about that song in the locker room, it just kind of speaks volumes to how well it did and, how, you know, how many people it reached. You know, and you did, you did just recently get tweeted at by the Sabres themselves asking you, requesting a song. I'm still waiting for my tweet. You know, me and you went viral at the same time. I never got a, a friggin' tweet. Where's my tweet? You know, where's where's my my request? I never got one. I mean, apparently, me and you 
apparently me and you had a different, you know, different effect as far as, you know, what we went viral for and who likes us and who does it. I mean, maybe you should, you should try like your Ranson song next time. Maybe that would work better for you. I, nobody wants to hear me sing. sing. Nobody, wants, nobody <laughs> wants to hear me sing. Nobody no. needs to hear me sing. So, hey, I have a quick question for you, Melody. Um, when did you start getting into hockey? Obviously, growing up in Buffalo, um, you know, everybody's kind of hockey. I don't want to say everybody, but it's a hockey city, right? And we love our football, too. But I think they get they kind of go hand in hand. Um, I, I, you know, football is, is tougher to play, obviously. And, uh, I mean, I only played for a year. And my heart was always with hockey. And I'm sure same with Dwayne. Uh, can you kind of tell us a little bit about when you got into hockey and when you realized that you were a diehard Sabres fan? Yeah, so, like, for me, hockey, like, I, it was always my favorite from the time, you know, I was – as long as I can remember, really. Um, like, I I would always, like, want to play street hockey or, you know, roller hockey, whatever. Um, my parents would never let me play actual ice hockey like I wanted to. Um, and then when the Sabres finally got good, 05, 06, um, and I just became so invested in the team and so just, like, I had to watch every game. I had to – have all this merch and all this stuff, and I, I loved hockey so much. Finally, my parents, after that season, were, were like, okay, you, you can go play hockey, because I wouldn't shut up about it. But, um, yeah, I feel like if the Sabres weren't good, I, maybe I'd never play hockey. So I, I credit I credit the 0506 to me actually starting to play hockey, and I still play to this day. Me and Dwayne talk about it a whole bunch, yep. about how, you know, there was a whole generation of us kids that we were so blessed to have that Sabres team and the party in the plaza and, and being hockey crazy. And you think about, like you said, that you kind of got into hockey because of that. And how many of the kids that are growing up today because the Sabres are irrelevant and because they've been so bad have maybe not taken that leap of faith into hockey and have missed out on this great game that we're all, you know, involved with. And that's the, the real shame in all of this to me. So I feel like what you and Dwayne have both done, um, you know, obviously different sides of the spectrum has kind of helped bring light to that. And maybe, you know, somebody that's not traditionally into hockey might've picked up, um, you know, your song or Dwayne's rant and, and really been like, Hey, you know, even though the Sabres aren't good, like it's, this still interests me and piques my interest. So I give credit to you guys on that because, um, you know, both are works of art. Um, Dwayne, it, it brings me back to, you know, your call and how it kind of all blew up. So I guess my question to you, Melody, is what was that first like and, and kind of how it all kind of came to be? What was was the Hey, Jason Bottle song the first song to kind of really blow up? And what was that first week or two like afterwards? <laughs> well, it was funny because um, the Hey, Jason Bottle song, I wrote it kind of around Christmas time. Um, and I remember because it was literally the day that Margot Scandella basically got like three-way traded for, for a week. Um, I was like working hard because I could just feel that a trade was coming and I wanted to get it out because like if, if I said, Hey, Jason, I don't make a trade. Then he immediately made a trade. Like that would be totally awkward. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like rushing to get it out. And then like, I'm probably, maybe I got like 20 minutes of work on it left. And then the, the Scandella trade was announced and I was like, Oh damn it. Come on. I worked so hard on this. And so I, I put it away cause there he, he made a trade. There's nothing I could do about it. And, and then a month later when Dwayne, you know, did his thing um I just I was I was like huh well the trade was kind of irrelevant and the team still sucks the fan base is mad they might appreciate this so uh, she yeah, rode my coattails 
She rode my coattails, Kelly. Long story short, she rode my coattails. I get chirped so much for not cutting the cord my playing career. I'm telling you to cut the cord right now, riding coattails. Hey, I don't talk about I don't talk it about every episode, all right? No, you can save it all for this episode. Yeah, saved it all for this one. Uh, I mean, it, it was an irrelevant trade, but little do you know, there are about five. Did you know there's like five statues of Michael Froelich in Alumni Plaza? Five. Five, yeah, the, the trash cans on the side of the road. Five. Oh, jeez, Dwayne. <laughs> That's tough. Well, you know what? Trash, hot garbage. What a, what a shot to the gut it was that we make that trade for like a sixth-round pick or whatever, right? And then <laughs> yeah. immediately that he, he gets flipped to St. Louis for a second-rounder. Like, are you kidding yeah. me, Potts? I, that was uh, like things you get to a certain point and you just like that's comical you gotta laugh at that you can't get yeah mad. i literally just took the words are you, all you can do at that point is laugh it's just yeah. like it's like i i i guess i'm a big I'm a, I'm a big you know comes to baseball i've always been a huge boss to red sox fan. my my mom's side of the family is from the area so like i was born and raised a red sox fan you know i have a tattoo of jason veritek punching a rod in the face on my arm back in 2004 really? oh yeah absolutely can you show <laughs> absolutely. me if, right, right now? Right now, yeah. I can't believe I've never asked to see this. Yeah, it's uh, I can't really see it that well. Oh, but flexing, get out of here! Oh, that's incredible, bro. I never realized yeah, that, that was that. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, yeah, from back in the when they finally won the World Series after over eighty years of uh, not winning the World Series, when uh, him and him and uh, I forget the pitcher uh, threw at a rod, and then Veritek comes off comes off the plate and just gives him the business right to his face. But regardless, um, I used to always say before the Red Sox made losing an art form. And that's what the Sabres are now. They've made it an art form because they just can't lose. We make, we make, we, we, we go down in a blaze flame glory, like in ways you would have never imagined two years in a row of unbelievable streaks in what it was October, November, whatever it was. <laughs> and just completely shit ourselves all over the arena from there forward. And the, the, the thing with me, you know, not to not to touch on my rant more than we should, but the thing with me with it was, it was just like the previous year with Housley, the team just gave up on him. Like you could just see it every night. The team gave up on him. Right. Um, that was impressive. Under, uh, yeah, under Kruger, they were competing every night. It's not like they were just they would stop playing. You know, you could see that that the the ability was there, and there were just pieces missing. Granted, if we still had Ryan O'Reilly, you know, um, you know, it went, you know, it, things could have been a lot different last season. I think we, I think instead of talking about my rant, which may have never even happened, or your song, which may have never happened, we'd be talking about you know the Sabers in a playoff round right now. If we still had Ryan O'Reilly, but hey, thanks, Jason. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but um. You know, it. You know, it's just you go from that. You know, the ability is there, and then you know, you came out of the All Star break. We were playing all these teams that were below us in the standings, and it was just an unbelievable opportunity to gain a lot of ground and be in the situation to be to make the playoffs. And then they just laid an egg against Ottawa, and I just remember sitting there on the lines, Jesus Christ, man, reading about the. I, I, I and I'll just go through Twitter and stuff like that and just see how pissed off people were. And I'm just like, you know what, man? I am done, done giving this ownership group the benefit of the doubt anymore. Because I've been defending them for years, you know, you know, using the, the canal side as an excuse, you know, 716, you know, 
the Labatt uh, Brew House, all these things that they've done for the area and how they've really changed the way downtown Buffalo looks in a matter of a decade. And it's just, I'm looking at it. I'm just like, you know what, man? Like, all things considered, you know, it's not like these things they've done, they're not making their money back on regardless. Uh, they bought the Bills, great. But you know what? It's extremely hard to lose money buying an NFL franchise. Like, it's almost impossible to lose money. Um, I look at the whole picture. I'm like, I'm just done. Just And I completely changed, like, the, what I was going to say while I was sitting on hold for, like, 10 minutes. And then, you know, in the beginning of the call there, you see, you hear me. I kind of, like, got caught up with myself. And then in my head, I literally just said to myself, fuck it, go. <laughs> and I just lost my mind. For I couldn't believe they let me talk as long as they did. I, you know, I'm convinced still to this day if Mike Shope was on the call that day, I would have been hung up on immediately. Mike like, Shope hung up on. <laughs> he would have hung up on me a minute in, you know, and uh, he wouldn't have allowed me to get to the point I did. But Bulldog was nice enough to, you know, let me stay on because he you know, he feels the same pain because I think out of that entire crew, you're not going to find a much of a bigger Sabres fan or a hockey fan than Bulldog. So he gets it. You know, he's been through all the trials that me and Colleen have been through, you know, being goalies. You know, he's a father of, you know, Owen. Wait, wait, uh, you know, a couple clicks for Owen. He just made uh, New Mexico. In New Mexico. New Mexico. Friend uh, of the program. Just, he's going to have a great, yep. uh, great – he had a great showing at camp there. Sorry to interrupt you, Dwayne, but I just had to get that out. Uh, check it out. He had a little interview on Twitter, folks. Uh, but, you know, bright yep. for him. And uh, it's his NHL draft year coming up. Exactly. And, and, you know, like going back to what you both said earlier, you know, we, we love this team because of the hockey we got to experience at such a young age. For me, I'm a little bit older than you guys. I, my, my, my love for this team and the game of hockey started with that guy back there, Dominic Hasek, guys like Pat LaFontaine, Brad May, Rob Ray, Matt Fireby, uh, Michael Paca, Donald Audette, Jason Woolley, you know, the boogeyman, Bobby Boopner, Dixon Ward, Derek Plant, my favorite, my favorite Sabres goal of all time will forever be Derek Plant on Tugger, Ron Tugnut in game Buggy. seven of 96-97, watching that fucking puck hit his glove and then dribble in. Like, all these memories I have that just were so – made me fall in love with this team and get so excited to go to Sabres games with my dad or my cousin or my friends and then, you know, going to Leafs games. And, you know, back then we dominated the Leafs. The Leafs couldn't hold a candle to the Sabres. Hashik owned them and just, you know – just all those fun memories I have. Like I have so many Kodak pictures that my dad took of us at like booster club dinners, the team back when we had sweet level tickets, you know, just at games itself. I have a picture, a really nice Kodak picture of Jeff Sanderson scored on Eddie Belfort in the finals. It was an amazing, he was tripping over Eddie's uh, pad and scooping the puck into the net. Um, just all these memories I have. And then you got to experience the, the mid two thousands, those teams later, and ever since then, it's just been misery, man. Just, I feel so bad for the Sabres fans that are just, you know, coming into it now or lack thereof Sabres fans because they don't get it. They, they don't know that those walls in that arena can shake when the team is good. They have no idea. Yeah, 100%. Sorry, I kind of went, went on a tangent there. I apologize. Wayne's rant 2.0. But that's uh, really the biggest thing for me is, like, the fact it, the losing is is what it is. It's been it's been like the fact that like the arena is dead now. Like the I'm, library, right? I've gone to games where the most exciting part of the game is like there was this one game where these women were behind us and they were talking about the winery they just went to, and that was the best part of the game. And like <laughs> it's like like come on, like I can handle losing to a point if the games are exciting, 
but the games are boring. The arena's dead. It's so quiet. And like, that's smells. Just, <laughs> there's, there's a lot wrong with it. But that, that's killed it too. Like, it just seems like everything is so lifeless. And it's like, why would I invest my money and my time into that when I could, you know, honestly be doing other things? Like, that's what it's gotten to. It's like, there have been games that I've just been like, eh, I'll catch the highlights tomorrow. I just, I'll do something else, you know? And coming from me, that's insane. Like, I would never have pictured myself getting to that point, you know? Well, Neither I, did I. Neither I did I. The same thing because I, I took my, my oldest daughter Hadley to a game, and this would have been Jason Pominville's the retirement ceremony against Anaheim. Yep. And it was an electric game. I think we scored like three, three goals in the first period, whatever it was. Um, and then I was thinking about, you know, now that Reese is old enough, I was going to take her. And, but like you guys said, the atmosphere is just so piss poor. Um, and I didn't want their first hockey experience to be that. Because then they would associate hockey with, you know, the HSB or the Key Bank Library, right? And I just, mm-hmm. I don't know. So, I mean, I think that's affected a lot of people. And I can't wait, like we touched on earlier, I can't wait for hockey to be exciting again. Uh, because we do have some of the core in place, some of the core, right? And we need to address certain things. And obviously the most glaring thing is that second center. But we, we're seeing in the playoffs now just how important um, the center position is to these teams. Because even young teams like Vancouver, Dwayne, you touched on it earlier. They're very strong down so the road. So much depth. The, the, probably the favorite coming out of the Eastern Conference right now, Philadelphia. They have two of the best centers in, in, in the game, and, and Giroux and Couturier. And, and mm-hmm. even their, their third and fourth center are good, right? So we're seeing just how important that glaring hole is. And, and it goes to, you know, show how, how bang on your video was, Melody, is that Botterill was so off on that trade you can't make that trade if you don't have a plan in place um, to, to fill that void. And if his plan in place was Casey Middlestat, anybody could have told you that he wasn't ready to pick up those minutes yet. Right. So it's frustrating. And I really hope that, um, well, not that I hope, I think that you guys have been part of the solution and, and hopefully the, it starts to, to change here and, and bringing light to, to some of these obvious gaps that they've made. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I don't know. Like I, I can kind of sense like even in like a tiny bit, like maybe they're starting to realize that they have to, like they have to start being desperate about it. Like they can't lose this fan base. Like they can't have like next year can't be the same thing. Like they have to do something drastic. And so in in a sense, I'm kind of getting that, that feeling that like, and like, I'm not super optimistic, but I'm getting that sense that maybe things might be a little bit different next year. Not just, you know, we're finally having cool jerseys, but like, maybe they are getting it a little bit, but I'm not, I'm, I'm hoping, I, I'm not sure. You mean, you, you mean, you mean they're not just going to throw Royal blue at us and expect us to head over our money and just call it a day. Yeah, you, don't mean, the, you don't think the, you don't think the will just do that. Well, of course I do, but like, <laughs> come on, the the yacht. you don't think, you don't think Larry can get it done at second line center. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Oh God. Hey, Nothing against Larry, but Lander here. I, I'm not. A, I, I'm listen. I'm not a Larry hater, but I'm just kind of sick and tired of Larry. I, I don't. I don't need this. This roster is just full of guys who just honestly, you know, on some other teams might not even be in the league. You know, um, analytically, Larry is good, but he shouldn't be playing in your top six. And there were times last season where he was, and he should have been. Analytics are great, but you have to be able to like what scouts call the eye test. Larry don't pass the eye test, folks. Nope, he does not. Um, but no, we, we touched on Royal Blue here for a second. You know, everybody, these, these jerseys that just came out with, I know I know a lot of fans, and myself included, were convinced that they're somehow going to find a way to screw this up. 
because that's what this organization does. They screw up. They, they, they take what should be a layup and screw it up. But these jerseys are hot, man. They are hot. And I'm not going to lie. I'm, I love the white jerseys. Uh, I love the – I've never had a blue jersey. Even, you know, I have a old, an old throwback Kashuken white. But I've never had a blue jersey. I am highly considering getting a getting a blue uh, a blue Eichel or a Darlene or something along those lines because those two I those two guys I think you're safe with as far as buying a jersey. So Melody, I saw on your YouTube that you had a poll about um, you know what what new royal jersey to get. Have you made a decision? I think the options were what it was Eichel, Darlene, Olafson, and what were the other two? I, I had Eichel, Darlene, Olafson, and then I had blank just to you know not worry Play about it. Safe. Played safe, and then I had my last option was uh, save your money. Your team doesn't love you. So, what was the winner? The winner was Eichel, but in second place came the save your money. So I love it. Now, <laughs> have you made a decision? Uh, not yet. I'm still like, like it's still a pretty big. Uh, a hefty price. It's a hefty price. Two hundred fifty-five bucks before tax. Yikes! Right, yeah. And not to mention, and not to mention, if you're a season ticket holder, uh, they rolled back on our Sabers bucks this year, so it's not like I think it was like a. A five percent decrease in Sabers box. Uh, however, however, me and my dad, we did move back like four rows, and we saved ourselves over a thousand dollars, which is wild to me. But four rows, uh, regard thousand dollars. Four rows, a thousand dollars. Yep. Jeez. You know, which is wild to me, but whatever. You know, it's because we're we're right on the blue line, where uh, I believe I believe the Sabers shoot twice are right on the blue line. First row, the three hundred level, which I actually prefer to sit up there because. I'm the type of guy that likes to see everything develop. Um, yep. That's just that's just me. I like seeing things from up top. And it's not like you're that far away anyway. Yeah, sure, you're not, like, right up against the glass or seeing Kyle Ocposo's 21 jersey, you know, that seven seven $7.5 million jersey. But uh, it's uh, – for me, I, I just like watching everything develop. But four rows back, uh, yeah, um, a $1,200, $1,300 save. So I had a question for you, Melody. Obviously, um, well, you know what? Without further ado, this question can hold. We're going to play for you right now uh, the Royal song. Now that we're, you know, on the topic, uh, even though it's a mini song, um, incredible job, Melody. I think our fans will love it. So we'll tee it up right now. Looking back like Piero, Robert, Martin, it wasn't fair. Sean fell, play fair. 50 from Danny Gare, colored stands. Getting thank yous from fans Watching guys like Rob Ray, Brad May, Deacon Bork Out of skates, Hashik in the day Making those crazy saves, now we're back Back to where it all began Yeah, we're finally royal Going back to what we love That navy blue just ain't for us We crave that vintage kind of buzz Now we're looking cooler Straight out of the 70s Awesome, awesome song that was. Um, so, Melody, you have you have quite the talent. It's not only, um, you know, being able to play the instrument so well, but, you know, writing songs is hard. And um, being able to, especially a song that's already been written when you're doing these covers, um, can you talk a little bit about the creative process? And, and obviously you're a knowledgeable hockey fan, and you know more than 99.9% .9 of other hockey fans because these lyrics um, – they're not only match up with, with, you know, lyrically or like um, with, with the song, but they're so on point. So can you take us through like how you, how you a, came up with this idea and, 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 
and what the normal process is like for you? Um, yeah. So are you talking about like how I came up with like writing parodies in general or just, yeah, I kind of guessed that. And then how it transformed into the Sabres once. Yeah. So, I mean, um, the, the first parody I ever wrote was about Rasmus Dahlin and that was just inspired by this tweet I saw on Twitter. Um, someone said that they were, they heard someone sing the song Jolene by Dolly Parton, but replaced it with Dolly because it was around the time Darlene, of the draft. Dolene, 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 Sorry guys. <laughs> um, and so, like, at the time, like, I was just, you know, I, I've been a songwriter for years. And so I saw that, and I was kind of in a bit of a rut in terms of my writing. So I was like, yeah, you know, that could be fun to just kind of switch it. And um, I didn't think anyone was going to ever hear it and see it. And then I threw it out there, and all of Sweden apparently, <laughs> like, saw it and liked it. Um, so then I just kept going from there. And it, it's been funny how much people have, been appreci have appreciated it, because you know, when I write it, I don't know how much, how, I don't think too highly of myself, and then I get a ton of compliments about it, so it's, it's been just really funny. It, it's wild, too, is when we and Johnny first started this podcast, because believe it or not, this podcast actually started a couple of years ago. I think me and Johnny, we did like two episodes uh, for doing your radio station, yep. and then uh, we had to put the kibosh on it for, you know, you know, Tully had a family and whatnot, so we just at the time wasn't there, and then it was just like, I, I believe Cully said it just like everything kind of matched up perfectly because Cully reached out to me. Um, he was the first one to reach out to me, but it was like he was reading my mind, uh, you know, when he said, you know, this is the perfect time to roll back out two goalies, one mic. Just let's ride, let's ride this momentum. I think, I think there's an opportunity here. And there was. And it was, it was crazy because I looked up at my phone. And I, I swear, hand to God, man, I was opening my phone to text him and I already had a text message from him. And, um, you know, it, it's like the stars aligned or, or, or something like that. And then as we started, you know, doing the podcast, you know, you can go on the apps, you can see kind of like where your, your, where your reaches. Um, uh, and I was looking and people were listening, like Denmark, Germany, and Australia, United Kingdom. It's like, man, this is wild. Uh, it was their Sabres fans everywhere. And then I remember when I had Ted Black reach out to me because, you know, I did bring up Ted Black during the rant. And Ted Black wrote something on his LinkedIn account about it. And I was like, holy shit, like no one's heard from Ted Black since he got fired right. or, you know, let go or whatever. And I'm like, so I, I created a LinkedIn account, no, no picture, nothing, no profile, management, just to see if I could reach out to get results. I had a conversation with Ted Black and the guy is as humble as they come. He's an awesome guy. He no, said, next time in Buffalo, we're absolutely going to get, you know, an overpriced bat loop at the arena. We'll sit up in the 300s. And we can wear the Turnberger jerseys, which is <laughs> hilarious. Because you know, those were his baby, I think. Like, he rolled out those jerseys. And uh, he's like, yeah. Turnberger jersey. Remember, the, it was like a roller hockey jersey. You remember Steve Ott unveiled it? it was oh, like, the yellow know, one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The practice yeah, jersey. It was, it was oh. like a practice jersey. Yeah, it was terrible. It lasted like two seasons. And like, yeah, we're done with this. But he made fun of it. And it was like, yeah, it sucked. Like, like, and it was so cool. And like, just, and then, you know, when I when I when I tweeted out that I had conversations with Ted, people started pouring in with like stories, Ted Black stories, like you know, you know the baby blanket program he did. He he was per he was personally mailing baby blankets to people in other countries that couldn't get them, you know, couldn't find figure out a way to get them, and they were showing me pictures of their kids with these baby blankets, personal letters from Ted Black, just all this stuff that he did, and he went the extra mile that. Us as fans, we haven't gotten that extra mile in years. Like just that 
that extra little something that made us feel like we mattered. We haven't been getting that. And that's, I think, what really, for me at least, it wasn't even just the lack of winning. It was the lack of attention to detail on anything with this organization. And, you know, it started with me with, for me, it was the night they retired Hashik's jersey, the lack of preparation that went into that. Um, I thought it could have been a lot better, especially after we saw Swati's jersey retirement ceremony. And then we saw the shit show 90s night was. And then it all culminated after the Ottawa loss. So it's like, for me, like hearing you say that, it's just, it, you know, it was just the outreach that your song and my, the, the rant that, you know, came to be the amount of people it reached out to and it touched, it was wild. And like, I just, I never thought like just me fucking losing my mind for four minutes on a radio station or maybe you singing that song would have had the effect on Sabres fans that it did. Yeah, like, it's, it's been, like, it's, it's good to be heard. That's the thing. Like, yeah. like it just, because it, for, for all this time, like, like you said, it just seems like the Pagoulas just stopped caring about the fans, stopped doing, like, hearing you talk about the blanket thing, I was like, oh, my God, they did that? That's incredible. Like, it's so miserable. Yep, and that sounds like, what a great thing for them to do. They have, I, that, that sounds shocking to me nowadays. But it just, like, the feeling of, like, I, I could scream at my TV on my couch all year long, but like to actually be heard and feel like, Hey, you know, maybe, maybe this could make a difference here in some small way. Like that, that just feels awesome. Do you remember that? Do you, I'm not sure if they still do it. I think they do. Do you know the ding you'd hear before the period gets ready to start? You would hear a ding throughout the yeah. arena. Yeah. That came to be because every week Ted Black would come on to WGR 550 and he would take questions from fans about concerns. And that was a result because one of the things, like, you know, we never know when the periods get ready to start. You know, it'd be cool to have some type of notification either sent to your phone or heard throughout the arena that, hey, get back to your seat. The, the game the, the game's about to resume. That was because of Ted Black going on the show and answering just a simple question from a fan, can we fix this? And he did it. And there, were, there are so many other little things that the team did, like uh, – you know, how I'm pretty sure this was one of them too. You know, you see the TVs that tell you how long you're going to wait at concessions and stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that might have been a result from Ted Black too. So any good idea the Sabres have had is Ted Black, and I'm fully on board with that ideology. Yeah, pretty much. And you know He's what? You, now, guys, so. you guys mentioned it, but those the little the baby blankets. That is somebody who gets it, man, because that is so mm -hmm. cool. And like you guys both alluded to, like that's you know being able to connect with your fans and uh, know what they want besides winning is a huge part of running a successful sports franchise, right? And you've looked at other teams that have, uh, you know, gone through stretch. Look at the Colorado Avalanche. They sucked for a few years, but they, they knew what they, they, they kept their fan base in the loop. They, they made the right decisions organizationally. And look, now they're awesome and they're fun to watch. So we can only hope that the Sabres figure it out. Uh, I have to ask you about this though. So there's a comment I just unearthed on one of Melody's video or uh, on one of your videos. And it's, um, this is all part of Melanie's scheme. First, she gets the organization's attention. Then they hire her as part of the organization. And then she eventually works all the way up to being owner where she fixes the Sabres into a dynasty, which I'm a big fan of. That's incredible. Yeah. I don't know how they figured that out, that that was my plan, but wow. I, I feel so. The internal, the secret internal takeover about Melody Martin. Well, the yeah. best part is the first <laughs> comment on that comment is you don't announce your secret plan out loud. What <laughs> Just put it out there on the internet. Yeah, so, I like that. that was funny. Do you have any um, 
any ideas for, uh, you know, what's next for songs? I know it's tough when we're not in the playoffs. You know, they, I'm sure if we were, there'd be a whole host of things to, to write and sing about. But you have any ideas in, in, the, in the vault you can share with us? Um, not really. Like, usually they kind of, like, when they happen, they kind of happen quick. Like, this Royals thing I, I only did because the Sabres, like, tweeted at me. Um, so, like, if anything comes, usually it's, like, it'll happen within a couple days. Like, after the, after the Taylor Swift one I did, I was like, okay, I'm done with this. This is dumb. I'm retiring at least until next year. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't like singing sad songs about the Sabres. Um, but yeah, and then new stuff keeps coming up. So who knows? Maybe we'll see. The Sabres will always find a way to, 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 to give you inspiration for a song. Always. That's a guarantee. Always. And there's, there's no shortage of inspiration for depressing Sabre song ideas. But um, I wanted to ask you quickly, um, how did you get into music? Because it's something that with my daughters, um, you know, I, I've introduced them to sports, but uh, because that's, you know, been a huge part of my life. I never really got to, to, you know, play instruments that much. I think I played the violin for two years in fourth grade. Um, and that was it. And I tried guitar, but I just, you know, you got you to put in time. It's like with anything else. It's that muscle memory. You have to spend, what is, what is that saying? You got to spend 100,000 hours or 10,000 hours doing something to become great at it. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got into, you know, music in general? Yeah, that was on my dad. My dad, um, he played guitar. Um, he he wrote songs when he was probably about my age now. Um, and so he, he taught me guitar from, I think my, the first time I started playing guitar, I was like eight or nine. Um, so he kind of got me into that. I had to, I got to listen to all of his, like his music is classic rock stuff. Um, I didn't, I don't think I actually listened to pop radio until I was like 12 or 13. So, um, but yeah, all him. And then I, after a while, like I started teaching myself piano cause I was really getting into it and I really got serious about songwriting. Um, and yeah, and then somehow <laughs> turned it into writing about, you know, terrible Sabres general managers. Well, I think it's incredible. Like looking at some of these um, 230,000 plus views on the, which one is that? Is that the Jason Botterill one? Mm -hmm. That's incredible. And then the, um, we are never, ever getting back to playoffs, 120,000 plus. Like those are unreal numbers. What's that been like seeing that response on YouTube? Has that been fun? Yeah, it's been shocking. Like because when I first did it, I was like, okay, people in Buffalo would appreciate this. You know, the, the diehard Sabres fans would know what I'm talking about. They, they would feel it. So I think like maybe at most like five, 10,000, like 10,000 being like a great number. And then to see like 100,000, 200,000, I was like, gee, like a lot of my fans are weirdly Leafs fans right now. Cause they think I'm hilarious that I'm talking yep. about yep. the Sabres losing. Um, and Canucks fans too. Like they're like, Hey, we're expansion siblings. We're, we can be best friends. I, I've literally gotten that same, like, following as you, too. Like, and not to talk about myself, but, like, the Vancouver. Again, I've had that same thing said to me. We're expansion siblings, you know. Uh, Toronto fans just love to bask in our misery because we're, you know, maybe not lately. I think I think over the last two years, the rivalry because of Matthews and Eichel has kind of, you know, spawned again. But, you know, back in the day, man, that rivalry was something. I remember going through parking ramps as a kid. Uh, taking lotion and rubbing it under uh um like um uh, under the car door handles of uh, of cars with license plates from canada and toronto and just you know just doing it do you know doing some shady shit that uh maple leaf fan banned vehicles and shit like that like or just shouting at them uh you know i remember after uh right around halloween time i went to the game uh dressed up with one of my buddies and on the way out, Mick Cully, do you remember that goalie's name? Burke went to another country to get him, that taller kid. 
uh, years and years ago. Say uh, that again? I can't remember. That goalie, that Burke, when he was with the uh, the Leafs, he, he got hit. hit. That, yeah. The monster. Yeah, yeah, it was huge. Sucked. And he sucked. He was terrible. And we were walking out of the arena, and they were just chirping us because, you know, oh, you guys suck. You know, Leafs are better, even though we won that game. It was like, you guys went all the way to fucking wherever, got this guy, paid him all this money, and he still blows. Get out of here. Just I, I miss that so much, or walking through that atrium after a Sabres win against the Leafs and just singing their stupid soccer song. Ole, 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 oh. In their face every single time back in the day when we used to own them. And now it's like a Leafs game. It sucks. But, you know, it is what it is, man. But like I said, like you said, like, it, you know, you got this cult following now from all over the world, the country, and maybe even the world. It, you know, it's, it's wild. It's so cool to see how your, your rise to fame has come to be. Um, and I just, I mean, I've listened to everything you've put out and I'm, I'm extremely positive that there are much bigger and better things in your future. I appreciate that. Thank you. For sure. No it's going to be fun to see what's next. And I look forward to the next, uh, the next song. Hopefully we can get some positive ones going. If we turn things around, I'm not going to hold my breath Ooh. on that. Um, but another thing I wanted to ask you about, so you've, you've been playing hockey, like you said, um, what position are you? I, I play on the wing. I'm right winger right now in my line. So I, uh, I just started watching it here before the show, but being the only girl in beer league mic'd up hockey, an electric video, I encourage all of our listeners to check it out. What was that like shooting that? And where'd you come up with that idea? Because I'm Dwayne, I'm sure I'll tee you up after this about our idea. But first, I mean, uh, you know, how did that, uh, how did that come to be? Uh, yeah, I, to be honest, I kind of forgot why I decided to do it. Um, and I, like, I don't know, I'm sure the professionals have like all their cool equipment. Literally, I took my GoPro, I was wearing a flannel shirt with a front pocket. I put my GoPro in my front pocket. Would not recommend, I was dying by the end of that game. I was so hot, because <laughs> I, I didn't know what else to do. Um, but yeah, I just- On your I, helmet. I, helmet too, yeah, I mean, I'm not- Yeah, but then you look dusty. Oh then, yeah. Then you know, Dwayne, if you wear it on the helmet, yeah. you're opening yourself up to get chirped. They don't allow that. I mean, that was my first thought. They don't allow that. But um, but yeah. Tape so, with your like, skate like Flower did in that commercial. There you go. Yeah. It's actually a pretty cool commercial. I'll give you guys that. Yeah, it is. I love that commercial. I was my sister was in town visiting from DC, and they had no idea who Mark Stone was. And then I told them, I'm like, that's Stoner, and they're like, you're making that up. I'm like, no, it's Mark Stone. Anyways, um, back to the back to the <laughs> beer league. Uh, the mic'd up so what you, you had it in your flannel jersey um i think it's great it gives people you know an inner look at it and um you know what was that game like you guys and i'm not all the way through it so did you end up losing that game oh no we won't it was it was weird because like we were terrible throughout the whole season basically and that that game was kind of near the end and uh so somehow we won our team decided to start playing well around playoff time then right in the middle of playoffs we got canceled but it, it was fun like that was definitely one of the more tame games like the very next game we played after that, I got totally like, like I, I was going to the net, the goalie covered the puck, but I was nowhere near it. Like the, I had the two guys on my line were actually like jabbing at the, at the goalie, but I was the one that got decked by like the six foot four dude. And I got up and I started swearing at him and I started going off. And like, of course they look at me and they're like, okay, sweetie, calm down. And it only <laughs> makes me more mad. And I was like, that would have been great on my mic. Like, what am I doing? And I didn't have myself mic'd up for that game. Of course, always the yeah. moment that you need the mic, you don't have it, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. 
you know, that, that reminds me of uh, the idea that uh, myself and Cully had for, you know, because we just recently signed on with Trainwreck Sports uh, and working under their umbrella. And they love the idea, too, is we're going to get ready to roll out once uh, leagues start back up. It's going to be called the Beer League Beat, where we're going to mic up a player or two from each team. We're going to show up, feature your team on the segment and, you know, maybe crush a few beers before or after the game with you. Just have a good time. And that also led, in my opinion, I think it'd be great to do like even a fantasy beer league hockey where you try and keep track of people's stats and you draft, you draft, you draft beer league teams. So Melody Martin might be, you know, a mid round draft. You don't know. You don't know. You know, you know, point Dwayne Steinel. Point per game player. Not a big deal. Dwayne Steinel might be, might be a 12th round draft pick. You don't know. I mean, we'll see. Hey, are you drafting coaches in this? Because I'd like to throw my, my name in the mix. Uh, you could be like the general manager of a team. Sure. Okay. I'll take know. it. We'll take it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man, it's uh, something that in the works that we're really excited to roll out when it does happen. Me, Cully, Tybee, uh, you know, I can't wait. Uh, hopefully everything works out the way we hope it does. But, um, yeah, just touching off what Cully said with the, you know, the segment you had about you mic'd up, that was a riot, man. That was hilarious. Yeah, that I that because we were really we got a good response from that video, so we were really excited about hey, let's do this for real. It, like my my buddies were all on board; they thought it was so so cool that people were into our team. And then that's right when the season got canceled, and yep, so we're we're super bummed about that. Hopefully, we're going to be getting back out there, but who knows? So you posted that in March eighth. Is that yeah? Like you mentioned that that they canceled it right after that. Yeah, that game was probably the game probably took place uh, kind of near the end of February, and then it took me a while to edit it, but. Yeah, our last game was, I think, like the 12th or the 13th or something around there. And then – I don't think people that aren't, aren't doing this realize how much of a – not I don't want to say a pain it is, but how long and arduous the editing process can be, especially for video. Um, I use Adobe Premiere. What do you use to edit your stuff down? Um, I'm on Mac, so I just, I just use iMovie, and sometimes when I feel fancy, I do Final Cut, but mainly just as simple as I can get. <laughs> nice. Dwayne, um, I got to have the hockey here. You have any final questions? Um, no, I just, I really appreciate you coming on with us, Melody. Um, like I said before, I see a lot of bright things in your future and I know me and you have talked about it before, uh, hounded you a little bit about being a little more, collaborate more with us because I think that could be something very special. I think we could really blow up. Um, I'm going to keep on hounding you about it. I don't really care how annoyed you get. So just get prepared because I'm probably going to ask you again about it very, fairly soon. Keep, hey, keep doing it. You should come on my YouTube channel and uh, no problem. I'll, I'll return the favor. I would like to team. I'd like to throw this idea out here. Uh, me and Dwayne can't sing, but I would love, love, love to do a parody and try terrible to idea. Hey, terrible no, idea. You know Don't do that. There's a no. lot of things no. you can do post-production editing wise. I think that, you know, we team up and we can maybe make ourselves sound, um, Somewhat okay. I don't know. I, 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 I used I used to do I used to do selfie videos of myself doing car karaoke like sometimes late night after hockey uh, after mental league games. And, well, no, listen. Tell I'll tell you right now. Um, the more I did it, the more people uh, stopped following me on Snapchat because I would send them the videos and then it would say pending friendship because <laughs> they block. That's so apparently people did apparently people didn't really appreciate my videos and my singing. So that's how I know that is a terrible idea but i mean let's try it whatever um one last question um who do you have 
Melody, who do you have winning? Um, who do you have coming out of the East Conference, and who do you have coming out of the Western Conference? What's your Stanley Cup matchup for this year? Um, I am – when I'm not a Sabres fan, I'm an Avalanche fan. Uh, they were my team when I was a kid because they were purple. So um, yeah. I'm, I'm all about the Avalanche. Uh, out, of the, out of the East, I like – I don't know. I, they kind of – they suck last year, but I, I really like Philly a lot. Um, yep. Sign her up. Uh, I'm on the Philly bandwagon too. Dwayne was giving me a little shit for it, but hey, Dwayne, I'm telling you, they're legit. Uh, Carter Hart is real listen, deal. I, I think I personally I like Carter Hart too. I just I, I it's so hard for me. That's like me rooting for the Patriots. Like I can't do it. Like I just Philly, it's just so tough. You know, they're not that far behind when it comes to the leaps for me. Like just it, you know, it's just a bunch of shitbag fans over there. Like I just I I don't know if I can do it. <laughs> I feel you on that one. Shit bag. Um, for, for, for me, I, I like the Canucks out of the West. I have been a big advocate for them. And out of the East, it's tough, man. I think, I think whoever wins this Columbus-Tampa Bay series is going to be your team coming out of the East. I love it. Well, hey, Melody, we really appreciate you coming on. Can't wait to have you back on. Um, this has been episode 27, and we're going to leave you with the instant classic, Hey There, Jason Bottrell. Um, and I hope you fans enjoy it. Anybody that wants to, you know, check out her stuff, her YouTube channel is Melody Martin. Be sure to subscribe. Slam that subscribe button. You're at 11,000-plus followers. That's incredible. Uh, we'll see if we can't get that to 12,000. Right, Dwayne? Absolutely. Let's give it a shot. Um, no, but seriously, thanks again for coming on. It's been a real pleasure. And, and like I said, we look forward to having you back. Yeah, nice finally talking to you guys. Thanks for having me on. This Not a problem. Been, this has been Episode 27 of Two Goalies, One Mike. For Dwayne Steinal and Melody Martin, I'm Johnny Cullen. We'll see you next week. Hey, Jason Bottrell, do you like it in this city? I've been watching all these games, and, well, this team's not looking pretty from my view. The spotlight shining bright on you to make a Jason Bottrell, I'm sure things are not that easy, but your answer to our scoring woes was Johansson and VC. Well, it's true. Without Jack Eichel, we'd be screwed. What would we do? Oh, you gotta do something. Oh, you gotta do something. Oh, you gotta do something. Gotta do something, gotta do something. Hey Jason Bottrell, that O'Reilly trade was rough. How could you think that Patrick Berglund and Saboka were enough? It sounds insane. But I hear O'Reilly's doing great, so they say. Hey Jason Bottrell, I just hope you have the answers Cause our ring's starting to look and feel Just like the Florida Panthers And it's tough It's a situation where this sucks Enough's enough Oh, you gotta do something Oh, you gotta do something Something, oh, you gotta do something. Three things.
thousand days seems pretty long The team we had was one so strong I think about 2006 each day The whole league just makes fun of us And we just laugh along Because it's a way to deal with all the pain Batral, I'll just say to you I really hope you get us through We have all these defensemen that don't play Make a trade Hey Jason Bottrell, I don't have much left to say Because like Risto and Ryan, I've lost my love of this game And it's a shame At least we have the Bills to play postseason games Oh, you gotta do something This podcast is brought to you by Better Biscuit. Better Biscuit is a hockey training tool designed to help you develop your game. These fiberglass reinforced pucks are developed to handle less than perfect surfaces, enabling hockey players of all ages to practice their skills in their driveway, basement, or schoolyard, honing their skills whenever and wherever possible. It comes in two different styles. The Better Biscuit Sniper helps players develop forehand, backhand, one-touch, saucer, drop passing, and shooting, ideal for perfecting those toe drags, puck control, and stick handling. The other option is the Better Biscuit Passer. The passer will help you develop softer hands and help you become more accurate with your passes and stick handling. will also help you improve your puck possession confidence for any skill level. Be sure to check out Better Biscuit at betterbiscuit.net for all your hockey training needs. Thanks again for all your support. And be sure to check out Better Biscuit. Now back to the show. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jag and Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.